Welcome to the Movie Planet Season 5, Episode 23. This week, we're talking 2021's Eternals. With Joe. What did I miss? Nothing, just the screams of my deep disappointment. And Steve. You think I'm a movie star? Well, I am. But I am also an eternal. Welcome to the Movie Planet. Joining me is the deviant to my eternal, Steve. I, I got it right this time. How are you doing, buddy? I'm doing good. It's the first time I think an entire, you know, at least in the MCU, when you've done that introduction, we're actually the same thing. Because the Eternals and the Deviants, they kind of end up being the same thing. No, they're not the same thing. No, they aren't. No, they aren't. And so it's begun. It, it, they're not the same thing. One they're destroys the life, the other one protects life, so it can be destroyed later. What a great plot point. Okay, so Steve, you mentioned, I'm going to bring this up. You mentioned wanting to change your grade for... One of your favorites, Masters of the Universe, a while back, you had listened to the podcast again, and you felt that, one, you thought nostalgia kind of creeped into your grade a little bit. You originally gave it a C plus. You, you found that your reading of the monologue, the Skeletor monologue, was uh, cringy, I believe is the word you used. I gave it an F. So the floor is yours, Steve. Do you want to change your grade from a C plus for Masters of the Universe? Uh, I think it does deserve some changing. I will get off the bat right now. and It is not an F. It's not an F. <laughs> Okay, um, sure. but I will go down to a D plus. It's just it, the more and more I listen to that podcast, the more and more I realize it's like this movie is bad. It's, and I mean, normally I don't like to nominate, you know, when you nominate movies for our podcast, it's movies that you think are an A. Yes. Well, this is a big strike three swinging miss that I did. And I fully admit to that. But you know what? Like you said, it was nostalgia coming back. I loved it as a kid, and I really wish we actually never did review this because now I realize how crappy it is. <laughs> but it's also one of our favorite podcasts. Oh, it is definitely a um, a podcast that you can listen to again and again and again, kind of like another movie that we're about to do in about five minutes here, <laughs> um, that actually gets better as you, as you listen to it. So... That's some high praise. <laughs> well, I mean, if you look at the parallelism, you know, the, the podcast and the movie that I give probably a D plus to, you can listen to it again and again. And then we have relating that to Eternals. Now, I'm not foreshadowing because this the movie does some foreshadowing in it of my grade for this by any means. But yeah, I think it needs to go down to a D plus. I think a C plus is above average, yeah. I, in my opinion. And this movie is nowhere near above average. I don't even feel comfortable giving it a C minus. <laughs> okay, so, so D plus, it's 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 bad. The only thing that's good is the nostalgia factor. Okay, well that lowers the average down to a two point five, which is a D minus. Uh, so we're right on the cusp. We are right <laughs> there. Oh, it's almost so bad you can enjoy watching it. But instead, right now, no, it's just bad. Okay. This week, because we've dug our heels into the MCU, we have nominated 
Eternals from 2021 for the comic book movie Pantheon. Now, I want to be clear. The runtime of this movie was two hours and 36 minutes from minute one to the final end of the credits. Did this feel like two and a half hours or did it feel longer for you or less for you? Oh, it felt two and a half hours minimum. It felt long. Yeah. Okay. This movie movie dragged. Good. We got some pacing issues then. Uh, A movie that we, we, this is what we can agree on. We need to start with the things we can agree on right now because there are going to be a lot of disagreements in a bit about, eh, 20 minutes. Okay. A movie made for $200 million that brought in $402.1 million worldwide. Less than Shang-Chi. Written by Chloe Zhao, Patrick Burley, Ryan Furpo, and Kaz Furpo. That's a lot of writers. Directed by Chloe Zhao. Produced by Kevin Feige and Nate Moore. Music by Ramin Jawadi. Starring Gemma Chan as Cersei. Are you familiar, familiar with Gemma Chan's work? No, this is the first movie I've seen her in. No, it's not actually, because you watched Captain Marvel, and she was Minerva in Captain Marvel. She was a blue Cree warrior that fought alongside Captain Marvel at the very beginning against the Skrulls. Okay, so she was all made up. She was all made up. All that? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) That's why I didn't recognize her. Yes. Richard Madden as Icarus, familiar with Game of Thrones, obviously. Uh, Angelina Jolie as... Athena, Salma Hayek as Ajax, Kit Harrington. Take your breath away. Oh my God, does she ever? Kit Harrington as Dane Whitman, and you'll hear his name three more times today. Kamel Nanjiani as Kingo, Liam McHugh as Sprite, Brian Tyree Henry as Fastos, Lauren Ridloff as Makari, Barry Cowan, Kowen, Kugan, Kagan, Barry as Druig. Madong Sayuk as Gilgamesh, Harish Patel as Karun, Bill Skarsgård, Bill Skarsgård from It, uh, Pennywise. He's the voice of Crow, and then we have Pat Oswalt as the voice of Pip the Troll, and your boy Harry Styles as Eros or Star Fox, and at the very end, Mahershala Ali as Eric Brooks, or as we like to know him as Blade. Your boy. Uh, This movie has fulfilled our one-year rule, so it's time to see if it's Pantheon-worthy. The comic book Pantheon uh, is pretty packed. I don't see this being Pantheon-worthy, which is going to lead to something we're going to talk about later on. The comic book film movie Pantheon. (laughs) (laughs) It's, It's not even worth mentioning with this movie. Okay, so you have number one, number two, number three, number four, and number five are... A averages, Endgame, Deadpool, Infinity War, Iron Man, and The Dark Knight. And then you have number six, Batman Begins, and number seven, Doctor Strange, baby, and an A minus. <laughs> you know, the, I, I look at all these, and the only one I haven't given a grade for is Deadpool. It is the only one you have not given a grade for. Uh, would you like to watch Deadpool and maybe next time give a grade for it? Yes, I would. Be, and I, you know, it was funny because just the other day I was, you know, going through the black hole of Facebook reels or Instagram reels and a Deadpool thing came on. I was just like, Oh, this is, I just wanted to watch more. And it cut it off after 30 seconds. Oh so, yeah. Yes. I need to, I need to revisit that. I think I mentioned that in a previous podcast when I was up in Nashville, Nashville. um, that, Yeah. Um, Deadpool, I definitely need to watch before I get great. Okay. Now, the higher the grade we give this, the longer it may stay. There are only a film with a higher grade, which 
because all of them will kick it out of the pantheon of the future. So let's grab some bracelets and attack this thing. This isn't the right line. Let's try something else. Let's jump on the domo and go for a ride and see if this thing well, lands amongst the greats. You're not that off. They didn't have bracelets. Yeah, but they didn't do anything. Yeah. Okay, okay. <laughs> Uh, now that we've handled that business, let's get down to business. Uh, Steve, do you remember seeing this for the first time? What did you think? I'll let you go. Yeah, uh, a couple weeks ago, actually. Oh. Finally, uh, this movie's been out for a while. At the time, my daughter was very, very sick, and I had, and she had a tough time sleeping through the night. And I took it upon myself as I'm, you know, comforting her and watching over her uh, when she did sleep um, to catch up on my cinema. I watched a handful of movies, those being Venom 2, or Morbius, and The Eternals. You really raised the bar on yourself for this movie, didn't you? <laughs> I was expecting another noise there. I was surprised I didn't get it. Uh, I, did all, I did this all on the largest iPhone screen ever. The iPhone 13 Pro Max had great quality. It had great picture. Um, I used my Beats headphones, my earbuds. Um, so the audio was great. And there you go, Apple. There's my attempt at my uh, first Apple sponsorship. So <laughs> I, I highly encourage, you know, watching it. I think you'll enjoy it almost as much. Um, I also watched it over the course of three days because of, you know, the family matters that were at hand. So I didn't get it all in one shot. Um, I still enjoyed it regardless when I was finished with it, with it, I knew that you would be upset with me and curious at the same time. <laughs> as soon as the end credits were old, I was like, Oh gosh, this is not going to be fun. And I officially hereby begin our civil war. Okay. Well, I did you see it? I saw this in theaters when it came out. I was pumped because, and the reason why was the last time I saw a movie where I had zero knowledge of any of the characters was Guardians of the Galaxy, and that one hit it out of the park as a theater experience. As a grade, not so much, but as a theater experience, it was fantastic. I loved the movie. It was very entertaining, and I was hoping when I stepped out of Eternals, I get the same thing. You can imagine my disappointment. When I left the theater, this was not Guardians of the Galaxy. Not even close. Okay, now that we've handled that business, let's get down to business with our segment Inception to Perception. Here we go. Don't get on the set, get ready to shoot, and then ask for rewrites. Studios do this crap all the time, and they wonder why they end up with a shit movie. Smoke and mirrors, guys. Welcome to the movie factory. Movie? You know, I hate the word movie. I don't make movies, I make films. Okay, April 2018. Marvel Studios president Kevin Feige says that the studio is actively developing a film based on the Marvel comic series Eternals, created by Jack Kirby to be released as part of their Phase 4 slate of films. Marvel Studios had met with multiple screenwriters and was believed to be focusing on the character Cersei in the film. Marvel set Ryan and Kaz Furpo to write the script a month later, with their outline including a love story between the characters Cersei and Icarus. So they started with Cersei, and then they said, let's make it a love story, also Cersei and Icarus. Whatever. Right. Uh, June of 2018, Feige says that Marvel was interested in exploring the ancient aliens kind of sci-fi trope by having the Eternals be the inspiration for myths and legends throughout the history of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. 
On August of 2018, Marvel's director's search for Eternals narrowed to a short list that included Chloe Zhao, who was in the running to direct Black Widow. Zhao approached Marvel Studios about making the film because she was a fan of the MCU. She wanted to work with the studio, bring her own take and world building to the franchise and impress them with a presentation that Feige described as fascinating with realms of visuals. The presentation left Marvel concerned that she might take on a different big studio project instead of Eternals, which forced them to secure her immediately. Well, I mean, she was in the running for Black Widow. I feel like if she didn't get this one, she probably would have gotten the other one. Either way, she probably would have been in the MCU. Well, she didn't get the Black Widow one because that was already assigned to the person that was going to be assigned. She was in the running for it, and they chose the other person at this time. So Chloe's sitting there going, okay, well, give me something big. And they gave her this and, and they were like, oh shit, what if she does something else? We can't just keep interviewing people. We got to get her locked down for this. I guess I'd be curious on what she was in the running, what, what she was also being. Well, 2018, 2018, let's see. What, what big movies were coming out? When did Zack Snyder's Justice League come out? Oh, I have no idea. Yeah, I think it was around that time, right? Oh, it could have been, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it could be one of them. September of 2018, Zhao is hired. Zhao hoped to push the scope of the film further than Marvel's Avengers Endgame. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's cute. But also wanted to have intimacy. Wow, that talk about biting off more you can chew. Oh, God. Yeah, your bar's set too high. Yeah. Zhao described the film as a melting pot of influences from Kirby's original work. <laughs> Get ready for this. Neil Gaiman's 2006 run, previous MCU projects, Zhao's fandom of the MCU, and her love of science fiction and fantasy films, and manga. So a lot of put, a lot of put in that pot right there. Yeah. Yeah. Speaking specifically to her love of manga, she hoped those influences would create a marriage of East and West. Zhao cited the TV series Ancient Aliens, the Final Fantasy video game series, the concepts from Yuval Noah Harari's book Sapiens, A Brief History of Humankind, and the films of Terrence Malick as her inspirations for the film. Holy shit. There were already enough writers on this. Did you have to have this many inspirations? Wow. This is almost a borderline video game movie you're going to include Final Fantasy. I mean. <laughs> a game I never got into, so I, I don't that, care. That's okay. I didn't get into it either. I don't like those kind of role-playing games where it's like turn-based and crap yeah. like that. You know, if I want to hit you, I want to hit you. Mm-hmm. Okay, Marvel considered Eternals to be a perfect transition into its next phase of films, along with projects such as Captain Marvel, allowing the studio to cast a diverse group of actors to portray the various Eternals. Producer Nate Moore's initial planning documents for the project included the swapping of genders, sexualities, and ethnicities of some of the char- characters from the comic books, with Zhao further advocating for this approach. So right away, let's diversify everything, which makes sense because they were mostly all white people back in the 1970s and 80s whenever this was done. Yeah, and, you know, the fact that everything and anything, gender, sexualities, and ethnicities, you know, was kind of all thrown into this movie. Um, I think they did a good job with it. It felt very natural. The sportos, motorheads, geeks, sluts, bloods, wasteoids, dweebies, dickheads, they all adore him. They think he's a righteous dude. February of 2019, Feige reiterated that Marvel was interested in the Eternals due to Kirby's epic century-spanning story, with the film version spanning 7,000 years and exploring humanity's place in the cosmos. Zhao noted that the Eternals have lived among us for so long, they have the same struggles like identity, purpose, faith, personal freedom versus greater good, all the duality and flaws that make us human. 
When trying to develop a story that spans so many years, Marvel realized that the characters would likely to be a fan family unit with friendship that would turn into frenemies and then turn into enemies and then come back to friendship. Zhao also looked to the Earth as an 11th character in the film, chronicling its journey alongside the Eternal characters. Steve, do you feel like they nailed that? Yes, they did. It's definitely, you can tell that's the try of this movie. I will give it that. That is definitely the try of this movie. Oh, I, I think they hit it right on the nose, but okay. Okay. Well, March of 2019, Angelina Jolie is the first person to join the cast. And she's reportedly as Cersei with Camille Nanjiani and Don Lee. Don Lee is the guy that plays Gilgamesh, cast in undisclosed roles for the next month. And at that time, the film was expected to feature Marvel Studios' first gay superhero. So to be clear, when they start making announcements when it comes to this, they lead with Angelina Jolie, star, Camille Nanjiani, fantastic guy, Don Lee. People kind of recognize him from bit parts here and there. And they also come out right away saying, we are going to do the first gay superhero. Is this a way to market in 2021 or 2020, 2019 at the time? Because I think it is. That's what, yeah, pe that's what some people are expecting to hear. They're begging for this, please more representation. So they, they put it out there as we're going to market it this way. Yeah, I think so. Because I guess if you don't say that, people are going to, it had been left open for interpretation of what the heck was really going on. But when you see everything happen on screen, I mean, I guess you don't think that. Um, I'm talking about the first gay superhero. I mean, personally, I think they did it. I thought it was very tasteful. It was very natural. Absolutely. May of 2019, Richard Madden entered negotiations for the role of Icarus and Salma Hayek had entered early negotiations for an undisclosed role the following month. In 2019, July, Variety reported that the cast included Jolie, Madden, and Millie Bobby Brown from Stranger Things. But Brown denied that she had been cast. I'm guessing Millie for Sprite. Okay, yeah. yeah. Okay, so 2019 San Diego Comic-Con, Feige announces the Eternals with a release date of November 6th, and he announces the casting of Jolie as Thena, Nanjiani as Kingo, Lee as Gilgamesh, Madden as Icarus, Hayek as Ajak, along with Lauren Ridloff as Makari, Brian Tyree Henry as Fastos, and Leah McHugh as Sprite. Who is missing? The character they started the whole thing with, Cersei. Oh, yeah, that's right. <laughs> they still don't have this character. Yeah, they really took their time. Like, when I thought, when, when Jolie was cast, I'm thinking, okay, she's got to be the lead on this whole thing. Right. And then, I mean, I, you do have Selma Hayek in there, who's pretty high up, but I don't think she can control a movie like Jolie. No. She's the one who can take this and kind of run with it. So. Well, I also, I also think that the writing did not serve Cersei very well. Because they didn't give her a whole lot to do. And if Angelina Jolie was in that position, she'd be like, what exactly am I doing other than just kind of coming along for the ride? She, Cersei's character is the mother in this. You know, you one would think that there'll be Selma Hayek. Yeah, Ajax is the mother. Yeah. Yeah, but, but she's not, I don't know. I never really. Cersei's like the older sister who has to take over when mom yeah, dies. I think so. Yeah, she still has that mother, you know, um, those mothering instincts. Because what, what you see her do throughout the movie, she isn't really battling as much. She's more just protecting things. Feige added that one of the characters was portraying an LGBTQ character with actor Haas Sleeman later revealing that Fastos is depicted as gay in the film. 
Slayman portrays the character's husband and the pair of a child in the film. And Slayman felt, and this is so important. I'm so glad that I read this when I was looking at it. Slayman felt it was important to depict how loving and beautiful a queer family can be rather than the sexual or rebellious depiction in some previous media. Feige said the relationship was always sort of inherent in the story and he felt it was extremely well done in the film while Slayman thought it was a thoughtful depiction. This is, in my opinion, the best, when it comes to the box office blockbusters, this is the best representation of a gay family I have ever seen on film. I agree. Okay, so Gemma Chan and Barry Cohen were in talks to join the cast. Chan previously portrayed Minerva in Captain Marvel, but reports noted that she was potentially being looked at by Marvel to play a separate character in this film. Since Minerva dies in Captain Marvel, Chan had felt that it was unlikely she would return to the MCU, but after working on the film, she was told by Feige that the studio wanted to make better use of her in a future product. Uh, project. This led, this led to Chan auditioning for Cersei, one of the last actresses to be considered for the role. Chan later described Cersei as the most difficult role for the film to cast. I, I don't know why. Chan and Cohen were confirmed to be cast in the film at D23 Expo in August in the roles of Cersei and Druig, respectively, along with Kit Harrington as Dane Whitman. And everybody went, yeah, who's, who's that? Everybody went on their phones and looked up Black, who Dane Whitman was, and went Black Knight, and then half the nerds out there said, you didn't know that was Black Knight? And it's like, nobody fucking knows who Black Knight is. Stop it now, you hypocritical nerd. Sounds like a DC character. It kind of does, doesn't it? There's yeah. a lot of DC that leaks into this movie. <laughs> uh, a little bit. A little bit. A little bit. A little bit. <laughs> Before we get into this whole thing for the show today, did you watch this movie for this show today on your iPhone or your TV? Uh, for this show today, I watched it on TV. Okay, I watched it on my 60-inch HDR TV, a movie this epic needs an epic view screen. Would you not agree, Mr. iPhone? Uh, you know what? I, to be honest, I came away... The I mean, same with both. But so, the beautiful, I mean, no, the, it, it, it is gorgeous. I'll give you that. Yeah. That, yeah, I guess it would be. The landscapes alone better. deserve to be seen corner to corner on a big screen. Yeah. That's one of the pluses I'll give this is that it is a beautiful movie. Yes. Now, when you put your notes in, what's your process? Because for me, I watch the movie and then I pause it whenever I'm going to put the note in for that particular scene. Mm -hmm. And then I continue. Uh, and of course for the credits, I just, I speed through that shit to get to the mid and post credit scene because I don't need to see all the names. Yeah. What about you? Um, I kind of do the same thing. Uh, sometimes I'll pause it if I really have something, you know, that I want to type. Usually, usually I have my phone on me. Yeah. I don't have a computer. So I just, I'm, I'm typing it in the notes section while my phone, while the movie's playing. Sometimes I stop it and pause it. Other times I'm just writing a quick blurb right there. If you were to look at my notes thing, it's all choppy in terms of reading it because I'm just trying to put my idea really quick in very few words so I can continue on with the movie. So for this one, you, did you wait till the end or did you do it while you're watching? I put my notes on, I was typing up my notes on my phone while I was watching it. Okay. Finally, when did you watch this? Now, I, not not originally, I know you watched it episodically originally. We're gonna pretend like I never heard that. Okay. <laughs> uh, when I did, I started on July 4th, okay? And I watched the intro scene and then I restarted it on July 5th from the very beginning to watch it from beginning to end because, you know, on July 4th, got sidetracked with the whole, you know, 
Independence Day celebration. What, what? Steve, when did you watch it? Last night. Around what time? Uh, Eight o'clock? Nine o'clock? Uh, it was at 10 o'clock at night. 10 o'clock? I started watching it, yeah. I mean, I would have loved to watch it at 8 o'clock, but, you know, I got, you know, other priorities that, that, that got to take place first. Of course. So, yeah. that I have, so, so that I have the ability to do this, because if I started it then, while well, all these kids are out, it would be worse than episodic. Well, that's why I want to ask these questions, because you come from a different perspective with watching this, which is you have children at home, you have responsibilities. It's hard to get two and a half, three hours to just plow through something when you have little responsibilities running around. Yep. And I think that's an important perspective for people to hear when you're grading something as opposed to me who has no responsibilities whatsoever over here. It's kind of nice. Well, you, you have the responsibility of making sure that this all happens. <laughs> well, it's interesting because I, I have some notes here that I took this morning. Is that legal pad? It's a legal pad. See, well, you, wow, you, you really did get your attorney. I system. lawyered up today, buddy. <laughs> <clears throat> you said you watched this around nine or 10 last night? 10. 10. Your fir first notes went in at 123. Yes. Yeah. You finished at 303. Yes. That's a long fucking night, man. It is a long night. Did you have I'm some ready. disruptions in there? No, I didn't. Not at all. So you finished the movie. Yeah. Did you watch it all the way through? Did you have breaks because of the kids? Um, no, I put Adeline down and then watched the movie. And then, oh, there was one time the dog just came in the, into the bed. And usually when she does that, she's got to go outside. So Understandable. I did, I did pause it, let her outside and came back. Okay. Okay. All right. So for this movie, you put your notes in after you got done watching it. Uh, yeah, in our template, yes. Okay. Okay, well, then I can kind of put that part of my legal legal response away. <laughs> uh, you, you the lovely thing about the Google watch. Doc is that it gives me timestamps as to when everything is happening. Uh, oh, I had a feeling that you'd dive into that because oh. I'm thinking, when I was done with this, I'm like, wow, this is like 3 o'clock in the morning. And, you know, I didn't even go to, I wish I would have been able to go to bed right away after that, but I was still up a little bit. So I was like, okay. Okay. Well, you ready to get into this bad boy? Let's do it. So you're saying we're basically fancy robots and our past memories are stored somewhere in space. And Arisham made the deviants. I'm sorry, Theda. You tried to warn us. The last time Arisham reset your memories, something must have gone wrong. What do you mean? Well, that's what Mad Weary is, isn't it? All this time, Thena was remembering all the other planets we were sent to, and everyone dying during the emergence. I thought we were heroes. Turns out we are the bad guys. We're not the bad guys, okay? We've helped the Celestials expand life across the universe. That's not what bad guys do. That's what good guys do. Every time innocent lives have been sacrificed for the greater good, it turns out to be a mistake. We have to stop the emergence. Cersei, we have no right to stop the birth of a Celestial. There has to be a way Tiamat can emerge without destroying the Earth. We just have to delay it until we figure out how.
In the beginning, the Celestials created the sun and other forms of life, but monstrous creatures known as Deviants began to run rampant. The leader of the Celestials, Arishem, brought forth an immortal group of superhumans known as the Eternals from the planet Olympia and sent them on their ship, the Domo, to Earth. The Eternals awaken with Arishem choosing Ajax to lead them. Icarus meets Circe as she sees Earth for the first time and says it's beautiful. They are joined by Thena, Kingo, Fastos, Druig, Sprite, Makari, and Gilgamesh. The Eternals arrive in Mesopotamia in the year 5000 BC. Deviants attack the humans on the land before the Eternals start to fight. Thena wields her spear. Kingo fires energy blasts from his hands. Makari uses her super speed to attack, and Sprite casts illusions. Druig also manipulates the minds of the inhabitants to try and fight. Gilgamesh punches something. After fending off the Deviants, the Eternals introduce themselves to the humans. Okay, let, th this starts off with a crawl, Steve. We haven't seen a crawl since uh, Star Wars. This was something totally different. It actually reminded me, I don't know if it was the text or how it crawled, but something like of Conan. And I think he has like an opening crawl where it kind of explains something like that. For me, it was very biblical. I mean, it, was. it starts with in the beginning, dot, dot, dot. And then the next line. So it's almost rewriting religious theory with this movie. Yeah, there's some elements in there. In the beginning, before the, the six yeah. singularities and the dawn of creation came the celestials. I mean, it is written like it's a passage out of the Bible. Actually, when you read that right then and there, I immediately think of another movie, The Dark Crystal. Yeah, this does it better than The Dark Crystal. Uh, it could be. It does. It, do, it absolutely does it because this is an actual crawl that you're reading, whereas The Dark Crystal is just a narration over it. Okay. There is no narration here. There, This is a cold open too. There's no sound when this is rolling up. Mm -hmm. All was in balance until an unnatural species of predator emerged from deep space to feed on intelligent life. They were known as, and then they capitalized, deviants. This is a Star Wars thing, capitalizing big things on a crawl. Yep. Uh, yep. The universe was plunged into chaos. To restore the natural order, Arishem sent Eternals, immortal heroes from the planet Olympia, that should have been capitalized, to eliminate the deviants. Eternals had unyielding faith in Arishem until one mission, led by the prime eternal Ajax, changed everything. Okay, Steve, so we're basically saying that everything that people believe in when it comes to world religions is a bunch of bullshit. I can't imagine how this didn't do better in theaters. <laughs> well, it's like uh, your opinion, man. No. Uh, it's, a, it's a movie. It's made to entertain. If people go, okay, if people go into this, thinking that the MCU is it's going, is attacking their beliefs, they, they must struggle to watch a whole lot of thinking movies. You know, because... That doesn't make any gonna, sense. They're always going to have that mentality of, oh, I, well, they, they're going to have to put their guard up because, oh, this is going against what I believe in. I already don't like it, blah, 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 blah. It's meant to entertain. I, I never took that away from it. I'm not saying that, you know, what I'm not saying what you're saying is wrong. Um, that's just how some, that's just how some of the people who watch these films, they, they, they might act that way. Here's the problem. And because we've seen gods in these before Thor, for instance, yes. Thor didn't negate world religions though. This full on negates them. It proves that they're bullshit because they explain that they were all just stories. Well, doesn't, I mean, Thor does not disprove. It was already established religion. What was? The Norse gods. No, it wasn't. Not 5,000 years ago. 7,000 years ago. Well, how old is Thor? Well, so, 
Okay, first of all, they're in a different realm, and technically they're not gods. Well, somebody ought to tell Loki that and all them that. But it's how the humans look at them. Well, that they look at them, and they also look at themselves as gods. Because yes. doesn't Loki mention that he's very godlike? Yeah, Loki or, does, but most of them don't. Loki's the Loki's the one that went fucking weird. <laughs> Still like Loki. Okay, we get the we get the shot of them getting ready to head to Earth. The first two people to speak are Icarus and Cersei. They're and I put they're very robotic, and I didn't mean it as in they're robots. I meant it as. Th that's the best they can do with those lines. <laughs> oh, like no emotion? None. Like, well, it's, I mean, I guess. It's beautiful. It's, yeah. <laughs> they've just been activated. I don't know. When you say robotic, it, it, it actually brings up a little bit of foreshadowing. I mean, it could be. I mean, but then that means that we've, that, then that means we've already been lied to because the crawls lied to us then. Well, I mean, it almost... It's coming from the Eternals' point of view on what they need on, on everything that's happening. So we're taking the ride along with the Eternals. I don't know whose point of view it is because it's not speaking on behalf of the Eternals or the Deviants or the Celestials. It's almost as though those are three things below what is actually talking about. Because something had to create the Celestials. Immaculate Inception. Oh, Jesus, Anakin. Okay. <laughs> uh, the action scene with the Eternals and the Deviants. Even look, it's a good way to showcase all their abilities, and it does it very well. It's very speedy. I yeah, I thought it was a it was it was a great introduction scene to everything. I thought it was a badass scene. It was done with outside shots too. Everything was done outside. Very done, well done CGI. Yes, Cersei turns the knife to gold. She gonna use that later? You'll probably see that later. She gonna use that later? Is that one of her powers? They wouldn't do it. Yeah, turning stuff manipulating on what they look like? Yes, of course. Well, she can turn rocks into things, right? Rocks into water, rocks into air. Rocks into different rocks. Rocks into different rocks. Yeah. Metal she is, she is, she can change things to whatever she wants. Well, not whatever she wants, because that's kind of something that she struggles with through this movie is she doesn't she can change things into butterflies. But rose <laughs> Jump to London. In the present day where Cersei now lives, she goes to class where she is supposed to be given a lesson and she finds her boyfriend, Dane Whitman, filing in for, filling in for her until she arrives. The lecture is interrupted by a large earthquake, which doesn't happen in London. Cersei has her students go for cover and uses her power to stop a large object falling off the wall from hurting a student. Steve, has Kid Harrington done anything since Game of Thrones? Off the top of my head, couldn't think of anything. I couldn't think of anything either. Like I remember when he was- I, I, feel, I feel he's he has, but I couldn't tell you what they were. Yeah. I do like the rock song soundtrack to this movie. It was a Pink Floyd song, I believe. Wasn't yeah. it time? Yeah, but the orchestral soundtrack is pretty forgettable. What orchestral soundtrack? <laughs> Mr. Music says what orchestral I, soundtrack? I, I, I totally agree with you. I you, I don't hear it whatsoever. No. It's there, and if I do hear it, it's like, oh, I didn't even know that was there. If I heard it, yeah. I might be like, is this Captain Marvel? Uh, Dane Whitman to eventually become Black Knight. If you don't know who this is, don't worry. 90% of the world doesn't either. That's fine. I'm okay with that. You know what? This is a new age of the MCU. Let's enter in some new characters to get a grasp of hold on to. You know, if you bring back some of those old beloved characters, you know, like Thor or Steve Rogers or anything, any of those other characters, even Black Panther, it's like it's like signing Gordy Howe with the Detroit Fighters. <laughs> it's 
just a cash grab for nostalgia so you can see this old timer godlike player just you could see that this generation can see him that he can still play <laughs> he did i remember going to that game and i couldn't believe it when i saw it yeah he was the only guy without a helmet on with white hair yep yeah he was grandfathered in with a no helmet clause so is it is it almost to say now that the previous for are those nostalgic now what the previous mcu films like iron man thor captain america like if you bring back those characters like oh i remember these things were such great characters it almost feels like they're starting to become nostalgic oh they definitely are they definitely are we can definitely look at this movie and go i wish they would have done what my what my mcu did you're right. You're absolutely right, Steve. In fact, the statement you have earlier, which is, it's a new age in the MCU. Let's enter in some new characters to grasp a hold to. I'm going to hold you to that later on because you got a problem with the character showing up at the very end here that kind of doesn't fall in line with what you just said there. <laughs> I'm gonna, no, no. Where did, yeah, you don't know. Right. We'll talk about oh, that later, Mr. Consistency. About. Nobody saw her use her powers in the classroom. Now, Steve, you are a teacher. If there's any craziness happening in your classroom, there's always at least one kid whose eyes are on you. Uh, being a physical education teacher, uh, I have more than the norm in terms of teachers. Yes, yes you do. Is. And I applaud the teacher and the instructors for making sure that all these kids are safe and they know what to do. I, I was, I, I did type in there, you know, I appreciate them doing the drills, but who's doing an earthquake drill in London? No, you nobody. Know? There's no earthquakes uh, in London. <laughs> no, there isn't. And I mean, I, for the building to be shaking that violently, that is a major earthquake. I mean, I've been in earthquakes before yeah. when I used to be a wee lad in elementary school in California. And the largest one I've ever experienced was a 5.0, and that woke me out of bed. And I'll tell you, it's one of the scariest things ever when everything is shaking and you can't escape it. But it was never to this extent where the whole house is swaying back and forth. Yeah. I mean, it's it's, it's absolutely insane. So that when, when I saw this, I was like, this isn't something to take lightly. This is a major event that's happened, which, again, it was an earthquake, but kind of really was, wasn't caused by – traditional earthquake this is what we find out later and there's really no mention of it ever again it's almost like london just kind of keeps on going on going on well i mean don't they mention it in the news like almost like the next scene or something that there was a, a major cataclysmic event of like oh, a did they? type of event i think they did okay i think i remember still seeing that on a tv but after that no that you're, you're absolutely right that was it yeah okay all right well i missed that Cersei later celebrates Dane's birthday with Sprite and a few others. She gives Dane a ring from his family's history that she has kept for centuries. You know, I kind of feel bad for Sprite. Uh, she can never be in love with an adult because she looks 14 and it's so tragic. <laughs> like I, I will go so far as to say that Sprite may be the best written character outside of Fastos in this movie. I mean, I'll totally agree with you that Sprite is the best and most annoying of the entire group. You want to be treated like somebody older and you just act like it, you punk kid. She does. If you look at her lines, she does speak like the adults, but she's always mocked for looking 
young. She's mocked for looking young, and then she, she she's done it for so long, she starts acting like it. She's not um, acting can, can we go? It's past my bedtime. Uh, we need to go. We need to leave. Yes, I agree. She's always thought of as a child, and she's using that because everybody thinks she's a child, but just how she delivers that line, she's just like a whiny little kid, you know? And then she goes, you know, later on with Icarus, she goes off and pouts with Icarus. Oh, I just didn't like her. So... Imagine 7,000 years of not being able to connect with people because they're constantly judging you by the way that you look. Who's judging them? Everybody. She can't connect with anyone that's not someone who looks 14. I'll tell you, she's doing a really good job connecting and having the time of her life when she's storytelling in Babylon. Well, that was early on. That was in only, what, year, 2,000, 1,000 of their time there? 3,000. Sure. You know, she still has value amongst it. But now as the world moves on, she has every right to be a little pissed off. Like they're all having a good time. She can't have a good time. She's the third wheel wherever she goes. But, you know, what an annoying human being. Okay. So (laughs) while walking on the streets, the three are found by a humongous deviant named Crow. Sprite casts an illusion to hide them from it. But the deviant is able to spot them and goes after them. Even though deviants generally attack humans and not Eternals. Cersei and Sprite ready themselves for a fight before Icarus flies in and fires his laser eyes at the beast. Cersei uses her power to turn a runaway bus into the rose petals. The Eternals see that Crow is also able to heal itself before it escapes. While running from the Deviant, quick, let's get some exposition in there for Dane Whitman. (laughs) Oh, okay, okay. Yeah, that's okay. Uh, So Sprite is Loki, uh, makes a bunch of clones of herself that are illusions. Yes. Okay. Icarus is Superman. It's pretty blatant, right? Unfortunately, yes. Uh, he's a, one of many DC references. This one had to have been done on purpose because that's all I see is Man of Steel. That's all I yeah. see. It's a sweet entrance, though, when he comes out of the rubble and smoke and all that. I, I mean, know. look, anytime, anytime he shoots the lasers out of his eyes, it looks cool. It does. Yeah. How did he know how to be there? Hmm. You mean at that exact time? Exact time. That's my hmm, number one. He does say that he came as soon as he heard about the earthquake here. Yeah, he did say that. And but as soon as that deviant is there, he was worried about Cersei because all of a sudden he's right there. He was worried about. Well, yeah, I think the timing of it is coincidental, incredibly coincidental and fortuitous for what this is. Because if he's like, first of all. And we'll go over this. You know what? I want to attack this later on because this is a massive problem I have with Icarus also. Okay. I can't deal with all the issues in this movie in one paragraph. Okay. It can heal itself like Ajax. It's the same effect used from the beginning. But you know who the only one is that picks up on this later on is? Sprite. She is the only one that picks up on it. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. You get Kit Harrington and Richard Mann looking at each other, and everybody goes, "Oh, Game of Thrones! Yay!" <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was just like, okay, here's Jon Snow, Rob Stark. You guys are brothers, right? Oh, that's cute. Yeah. And then, and then Cersei's at this as well. It was just, are you sure there wasn't any other Game of Thrones people that were on this movie? <laughs> Makari, Makari was in Game of Thrones. Okay, I guess in terms of like writers or directors or any oh. kind of producers. Oh, know, I like don't know. That, I just feel like they. I don't know why all of these Game of Thrones. It just seems too coincidental. Maybe one name, but to have a bunch of them like that, I don't know. Look, they, uh, could, have, they could have made anybody Black Knight. They chose Kit Harrington because they had Richard Madden already, and they're like, you know what? This will be a cute little Easter egg to put in here. <laughs> that scene was developed just for that. That's, that's lame. I agree. 
<laughs> I keep so, keep preaching to the choir. <laughs> <laughs> that's a, that, that's a, that's a lame, you know, little minor thing though. But I oh do got a question gosh. though, and you know, the wife did that suck. <laughs> the wife did bring this up as we were watching this. Was anybody else on that bus when it got turned to pedals? <laughs> you, the bus driver comes up out of the pedals, but apparently he's the only person in there. I mean, I know you did say it was a runaway bus. Uh, was it, or was it just driving down the street? I don't know. It, it says right there, turn a runaway bus into a rose petals. Okay, so. yeah. But I just, that was the first thing I said, God, I hope nobody else was on that bus and got turned to rose petals. I'm like, well, I guess. Yeah. But I guess I, did, I didn't even notice that the bus driver even walked away from that. So I guess if there was, they would have walked away from it. Maybe, you know what? I don't know. Don't ask. It's like, it's like, it's like uh, Sam says, it's magic, baby. It's just magic. Magic. That's the reason why magic. Cersei comes clean to Dane about her life as an eternal and what their purpose has been. He asks her why they never helped during the Great Wars or when Thanos attacked. And she explains that they were instructed to never interfere in the orders of mankind so as to not hinder their development as a society. Cersei also tells Dane that she and Icarus were technically together for centuries, but things didn't work out. Steve, what are your thoughts on this? So this whole thing... I mean, I understand. It makes sense why they would not get involved in human affairs. I, they, did the, I don't even know if they have already touched on this already, but I know this is the first time Thanos has been brought up. Actually, they, I'm surprised we didn't even mention it before when um, Dane asked Cersei, he says, are you a wizard? Just like Doctor Strange. And that was like the first previous MCU brought up in this entire movie. And I think that was just made as just a quick, joke give but that's the first time that they mentioned a previous character don't know but i mean i understand why they wouldn't get involved because they need and in the eternals minds without knowing the real reason they need the human race to evolve and if they get involved in humankind then they cannot develop as a species when i look at it like that it, it makes sense on why they didn't get involved with Thanos. You ask a couple of questions in there. Well, this was after your little spiel about the Celestials and Eternals. So I didn't know if you want to speak on that first. And then I ask you those questions. Oh, so it's not so much you're commenting on the movie. You're commenting on my comments. That is correct. That's why I want this. everyone else to hear this because it's going to lead to a defense I have later on for what his grade is of this movie. Okay. Uh, the Thanos question is a legitimate one. If the Celestials have the Eternals to fight the Deviants because the Deviants are killing off the life on planets, you would agree with that statement, right? The Deviants are killing the life off the planets? So the e Eternals were created to stop the Deviants from doing that. That is correct. Okay. And if the eradication of humans prevents a celestial from being born from the planet, that's true, right? Yes. Okay. Wouldn't it be in the celestial's interest to stop Thanos, who would not only eradicate half the life on Earth, but across the cosmos? This was not well thought out. Well, did they know Thanos' plan? Absolutely. When was that... How is that known? It's Can known because in the crawl, 
it says before the six singularities and the dawn of creation. So it means that they were there for the dawn of creation. They were there yes. for the six singularities. They know the power of those stones. Yes. But so, do they know Thanos' plans to gather them all and wipe off half of the universe? They're all seeing. They're everywhere. They can see everything. Of course they knew. Well, if it's all seeing, then why did they make mistakes? Why did they make mistakes? Yes. Because it wasn't well thought out, Steve. So, I mean, these all being all godlike saying they're, they're able to make mistakes. And one of those mistakes can't be, well, we don't know what Thanos is going to do. God forbid you have an infallible God, right? Oh, are we tearing down world religions again? Yes, we are. Keep falling into my trap, man. Keep falling in. I'm going to enjoy the ride on the high ground. <laughs> I, I honestly believe that they're not all seeing. They were there in the beginning of the creation of everything, but they're not all seeing. They do have flaws in them. And I don't think they knew Thanos' plan because if they did and everything, I 100% believe I think the Celestials would have gotten involved in Thanos' plan. But I don't think they knew it. Um, the Eternals were created, and they're just all about what they needed to do on that planet. Um, nothing else. All about the mission. Do you have any evidence of this? Or are you just assuming? What? That that's their roles in all this. Well, they, and towards the middle of the film, they realize that they're just mere soldiers. You said robots earlier, and that's like kind of one of the best analogies that I can give, that they are programmed to do this, and that's it. And the fact that they are evolving as a synthetic species, um, that is, again, another flaw in the design of what the Celestials created. I agree. It's a flaw in the writing of what the Celestials created. You're, you're correct. <laughs> it's a trap. <laughs> uh, okay. It proves that they are not all seeing. If they would have known that this was going to happen, then either one, they wouldn't have done it, or two, they would have fixed it, and another mistake would not have happened again. I do not see the Celestials as these perfect beings. I do not see that. I didn't say that they were perfect. Let me be very clear about this. They are very imperfect. But the parallels to this movie and how the uh, Deviants and the Eternals are set up is very similar to what you see across world religions. Okay, then I'm going to play the card that I'm not very knowledgeable about everything in world religions. Okay. I'm, I'm going to have to just give you the one on that one. Yeah. You're, you're more knowledgeable than I am. Icarus left Cersei 5,000 years ago. Where the hell did he go? So there's, I, I wrote two little bullet points to this stuff, and I think the first one kind of doesn't make any sense because he went, I, or I wrote, he made a life for his own just like everybody else. But then as soon as I wrote that, I was like, How do you know? Well, we do. <laughs> Well, we don't, but we can tell he doesn't look the same and he doesn't look the same to what he did before. I mean, you only have to assume because everybody broke off that everybody went out on their own way. I mean, that, that, that was explained earlier. You go live your own life. That's what Ajax was telling him um, in uh, Tenochtitlan Lan or whatever. But, but isn't, Icarus, isn't Icarus the only one you don't see his backstory on? You see, yes, you see what Fastos did. You see what Makari has been doing. She's been hoarding. Uh, you see what Druid did. Druid created a cult. Uh, 
I mean, the only backstory that we see on Icarus is the six days prior to um, Ajax's, you know, well-being. Right, and that's when he's at Ajax to see what Ajax has been doing. But nobody has a clue what Icarus has been doing. Well, we have no idea what Ajax has been doing. We just know she's riding a horse. She's got a ranch out there. She's got a home. We don't know if Icarus has any yeah, of that. Yeah, that's true. Okay, yeah. Yeah, we don't know what, yeah. what Icarus has been doing. But, I mean, at the same time, I think he just secluded himself even more so than um, Druig because he knew everything that was happening. He knew the truth, and he just secluded himself, especially from Cersei, because he knew that being around them, it would have just been painful because he's continuously lying to him. So he needed to isolate himself and just be his, he went Yoda on everybody. There was a problem in the programming. Was there? I mean, if they're aware of all their memories from before, then that's clearly a problem in the programming. I don't know if they're conscious about all of their Well, Icarus is, because Icarus knows what the plan is. He knows what the plan is because Ajax told him while they were on Earth. Okay. That's what I got. Anything else? Uh, I, I, as soon as this scene's going off, I'm like, damn, this movie is, it, it's just, it's a lot more enjoyable the second viewing. I am thoroughly enjoying this movie more the second time now that I've been able to digest things. And now I can see things a lot better this time. She later goes back to her apartment to reconvene with Sprite and Icarus, resolving that they need to get Ajax and the other Eternals together to fight Crow. Okay, Icarus came back because of an earthquake. That's bullshit, okay? As if that's the worst thing to happen in 5,000 years to Cersei. She's in London. What about the air raids in London? He was like, ah, that's no big deal, but there's a rumble, so I gotta show up. This is a worldwide rumble. But we find out later that it was. Right. She was almost killed in World War II. Was she? The air raids of London would have suggested so. Was she in London during that time? I guess we'll never know because, you know, backstories. What are those in a story, right? They move. They move from to- from place to place. That was I'm sure that, that was she funny. just avoided all other calamities outside of this one earthquake that showed up on London. Well, you can't. Yeah. Can't there's no, there's no excuse in this one, brother. Flashback to 575 BC in Babylon. After an intense battle with some deviants, Ajax forms a link to speak with Ereshem. She expresses respect for his grand plan, but appears to have a slight objection as it pertains to the people of Earth. Ereshem tells her not to get attached to them and to follow through with the plan. Okay. Coolest power set in use, I think, is Makari Speed. Uh, yes, I Wor- like it. Worst power set in use, I think, is Gilgamesh's Fist. <laughs> it's a toss-up between him and Cersei. You know what? I almost put Cersei, but I was like, Cersei is kind of useless anyway. Like, she's good for building civilizations, but when it comes to a fight, I think I'd rather have... She's all defense. Yeah, she's all defense. And Gilgamesh has one move, punch. Uh, I do... She just has one big, massive gauntlet. I was worried about how they were going to do the Celestials in this, and because I'd seen them in the comics, and I was like, how the f*** are they going to make that work in an MCU movie? And you know what? It looks pretty cool. I mean, I think I get a real sense of how large he is at the end of the movie when he shows up and how it look, how he's perceived on earth. And when he's in space, it's like, it's, he's massive. Yeah, absolutely. 
Ajax goes back to the lair where Fastos is. Oh, one thing I want to mention about Arisham. What I love about his look is the detail on his face because you see stuff that's crusted off like asteroids have hit him and it looks beaten down and lived in. It looks weathered. Yeah, very much so. Uh, Ajax goes back to the lair where Fastos is developing a steam engine to provide for mankind. Steam engine's too soon. Plow. (laughs) (laughs) You got a guy who loves technology so much and just wants to help out a lot. And then you just get shut down there at the end. Fine, here's a stinking plow. You have to imagine they've been doing this infinitely. They, I mean, they, obviously their, their memories are all reset, but they're programmed to do this infinitely. Yes. So yes. he should probably know where they are and where they're going and that the steam engine, yeah, it's going to scare some people around here. <laughs> like Drew here, he's like, that's going to scare people. <laughs> yeah, I mean, whenever something vastly new comes out, it's always got its, uh, you know, Concerns, social but, media. <laughs> oh God! One of the worst things. Kids today, so desensitized by movies and television. Exactly. The Eternals live among society openly, with Sprite using her powers to entertain children with stories that come to life through her illusions. Meanwhile, Icarus's feelings for Cersei have been growing over time. See, at the time, Steve, Sprite still had a purpose. This is before Ajax just says, live on your own. So that's why she's engaging with everybody at that time. Wait, what? So earlier you said, you, when you mentioned, you were like, well, what about Sprite? When she, she looks like she was having a good time back in the day when she was telling stories. It's yes. because they still had a purpose. After Athena goes mod weary, Ajax lets them all go to live their own lives. The only one that can't is Sprite. Well, yeah, they they moved on because the last of the deviants were killed. They right. completed their mission. They were done. So go live on your life the best way that 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 that, that you can. I mean, that's why Sprite is the way that she is. She was born, she was made for a purpose. Once that purpose was gone for her, she can't do anything beyond that purpose in today's world. She has no rights. How old is she supposed to be in this movie? 14. Was that, was that said? She looks 14. Oh, okay. Yeah. So you're looking 12, 13, 14. Okay. I, I got a different question about her altogether. Okay, and it's a writing question. I'll talk about that later. Uh, Yeah. Meanwhile, Icarus's feelings for Cersei have been growing over time. He admits his love to her, which she reciprocates, and they make sweet, passionate, baby-making love outside at night and are seen married later during the age of the Gupta Empire with all the other Eternals there for them. Makari is looking for an emerald tablet. I wonder what for. Will this be answered? No. (laughs) Not, Not yet. Not at all. Yet. At all. Are you talking about in future yeah. movies? Certainly a possibility, dude. Oh, there is a reason why it's there and it's stupid later on. Okay. Druig is very much an angelic Lucifer figure in this. He'd rather take the free will from people for strict peace than give people free will in conflict. Uh, you hit it right on the nose. Yeah. Totally agree. I, well, we touched on this earlier. Um, when Sprite is doing her storytelling and her explanations to the Babylons, is it storytelling, something that she's just making up, or is it kind of showing how they should expand their empire? Because it does show, like, a boat, and I don't know if it does show any kind of wars or anything, but it almost seems like she's showing them how to expand, how to evolve as a race. I saw it as she was 
telling them stories because, you know, back then that's how you entertained around the fire. Mm-hmm. Uh, and when I saw this, I thought it was very charming, but something in me said, I've seen this before. C-3PO did this in the Ewok village. And now they're part of the tribe. <laughs> I already think they were part of the tribe. <laughs> they were already uh, marveled upon. Oh, look at you. <laughs> prior to this, but uh, yeah, there, there, there are some parallelisms there with yeah. uh, 3PO speech and sprites. Boom. <laughs> <laughs> That sounded so good. I cannot wait for you to hear this on the podcast. You nailed that. Oh my God. A love scene. Was this needed in a Marvel movie? I mean, I'm never one to shy away from a good love scene, but not in my family entertainment. No, they, if they would have just showed like the, you know, holding hands and a kiss there and then them getting married, no pun intended. I could have put two and two together. Yeah. It did seem a little weird, but it's not the worst thing in this movie. No, no. <laughs> and look, this next point is merely spiteful, mainly because I don't give a shit either way about this. But look, if they're alien in nature and they're getting married in full India garb, wouldn't this be cultural appropriation? I mean, surprised the SJW mob decided to overlook that little detail. It- they just probably just where they happen to be at, you know, like they were happened to be in India before that it would have been in the Babylonian, you know, religion or whatever before that, the, how the Mesopotamians did it. My question is why did they wait a hundred years to tie the knot? Because in Babylon, it was like 500 BC or, or whatever. And then all of a sudden they jump forward. It's 400. I mean, that's <laughs> one hell of an engagement. I mean, sh- I'm sure there had to have been some venues that were available sooner than that. I mean, uh, unless the DJ was tough to get <laughs> important. Because the DJ runs the show. You have a bad DJ. You got a bad night. You blew it! A hundred years? I mean... They waited a hundred years. That yeah. was my first question. No, they, yeah, they waited a hundred years. Isn't anybody noticing that they're not aging? Does it matter if they get married? Does any of this fucking matter? <laughs> Does any nah, of this yes. matter? When you look nah, at the grand yes. scheme of everything in this plot... Does it actually matter? The movie's not over yet. Back in the present, Cersei, Sprite, and Icarus travel to South Dakota to Ajax Ranch, only to find her dead outside her home, killed by Crow. The the three mourn their fallen leader, but when Cersei approaches her body, the stone in Ajax's body that was bestowed to her by the Celestials attaches itself to Cersei, meaning Ajax has chosen her as her successor. Cersei briefly catches a glimpse of Erishem before she loses sight of him. Salma Hayek. No! You are you are far too much of a treasure to have been done dirty like this in a movie. There better be a flashback because every movie needs a little more Selma. Yeah, I was surprised that that character got taken out as quickly as they did. Um, the first thing I thought was, so Ajax dying and her being an Eternal is kind of ironic, isn't it? Don't you think? It's like rain. <laughs> I, I, I wanted to go into song, but... <laughs> And then another thing is yep. that when everybody shows up and they see that she's dead, Icarus immediately says, it had to be a deviant. Well, okay. He says it had to be an e- deviant because they are immortal. 
The only things that can take them out are things that were also created by celestials, which would be deviants. Okay. Then I'll take away my number two. Yeah. But no, it's a good number two because he's the one that says it. It's not Sprite that says it. Okay. Yeah. Very true. I guess if somebody else were to say it, then yeah. Uh, Sprites okay. figured it out with the Deviant being able to heal itself like the Ajax. 7,000 years of wisdom, ladies and gentlemen. And the only person that figures it out is Sprite. A 12-year-old kid. 14. <laughs> Icarus cannot be jealous about Cersei getting chosen by Ajax. He does not get the right to be. If Ajax, first of all, as we find out later, last thing Ajax sees is Icarus leaving her for dead. So the mm-hmm. character choice doesn't, it doesn't change, you know? Icarus can't sit there and be like, oh, why did you choose her? Dude, you kicked her off a fucking cliff. She's not gonna be like, well, you know what? That's my leader. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, okay. They say mod weary. Why not just say mad weary? I mean, that's what I thought it was before I put the closed captioning. I was mad weird. That made sense. Crazy from exhaustion of being alive for 5,000 damn years. It makes sense. Let's change the spelling. Stop making goofy choices now. Whatever, right? It's like spelling cat Q-A-T. Don't be cute. It's C-A-T. Okay, flashback to 1521 AD to In the midst of a fierce battle, Thena finds herself overcome by Mod Weary. Um, Result of her... of mad weary a result of her past memories collapsing in on themselves and driving her insane she attacks her comrades and nearly kills them before they subdue her you know we we keep hearing how they aren't to interfere in human conflicts unless deviants are involved yet we constantly see them interfering with human conflicts when the deviants aren't involved they are evolving as a synthetic being just like the deviants can he, can robots evolve synthetic beings I don't know, robot, what, what, the robots that we know, Yeah, uh, they can be upgraded and evolved, yes. Ah, so we're seeing upgrades happen. Are we? Yeah, I, I mean, that's just upgrades, evolution. They uh, sound very similar. What do you think of Athena fighting? It's almost like when they had, they, when, they, when they casted Angelina Jolie, you know, her name, her experience brings a presence to a film. Yes. And I feel like they had to do something with her <laughs> to make her badass, And she is, next to Icarus, the most badass fighter that there is. I think she could take everybody except for Icarus. I completely agree. Yeah. And there's one punch man to the rescue again. That makes more sense now that you've explained that. <laughs> yeah. I didn't know what that meant by one punch man. Thena awakens with little memory of the incident, although Ajax proposes that they go to the Domo and use the available resources to help Thena. Makari argues that she wouldn't really even be Thena after the procedure due to a potentially erasing aspects of her as they already love her. Druig questions Ajax's leadership as he has long been angry that he cannot use his power to help mankind stop their battles, but knows he cannot intervene. Ajax decides that since the deviants have been driven out and staying together would be dangerous, they should all split up and live in the world among the mortals. Gilgamesh agrees to look after Thena and make sure she doesn't hurt herself or anybody else. Did you, I mean, this kind of goes with what you said earlier. Angelina Jolie is just sleepwalking through this movie. She seems like she's glossed over. Yeah. She's got that glossy look almost the entire time. And is it me? Or does it almost sound like she's speaking in an accent? Oh, there's, def- just- there's definitely something going on. Yeah. Because I feel like she has, 
I I don't like using the word normal anymore because what is is there a normal? But I feel like I've seen her in other interviews and she has a very I don't want to even say monotone, but her she's very easy to understand because there's a lack of an accent. Yeah. But for here, I feel like there's a glossed over accent. I thought it was just me. No, it could be. I mean, also another thing about Thena: Are Gilgamesh and Thena a thing? I think it's a one-way relationship. As in Gil's all about her and she's kind of like, yeah, I'm above you. No, I think that they, she just believes that they're still in the friend zone. Okay. <laughs> um, Druig. Druig continues to be the angelic Lucifer to Ajax Jesus in this. He even descends the pyramid amongst the flames. That is a cool shot. I like that. That was really cool. Being it a is. villain's guy, I know he's not the villain. He's almost portrayed as the villain. I mean, hey, there's a lot of villains in this I'm going to talk about later. I don't know who the hell the villain is in this. You don't find out till the end. Even then, you might not know. At this point in the movie, I can tell you one or two things about every character, but there's a problem with having too many characters in a story. Most stories would have established much deeper characters by now. Oh, yeah. This movie's been going on for a while. And I think because there's so many, you really can't dive into it as much as you would like to. Because then this movie would be four or five hours. Present, Mumbai, Cersei, Sprite, and Icarus travel to find Kingo, now a famed Bollywood superstar who has pretended to be his own descendant for the last few decades to maintain an acting legacy. His valet, Karun, knows the secret and has been working with him for over 50 years. The three break the news of Ajax's death to him and the threat of the deviants. Karun encourages Kingo to join his friends on their mission to round up the others, and Karun is even more than willing to join them. Kamal Nanjiani, thank you, thank you, thank you, for inserting some comic relief into this movie. How we needed you so. Also, yes. well done in the weight room, buddy. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I, this whole, like, Bollywood scene was, I didn't I didn't know how serious to take it. And then when as soon as he says cut, I'm like, okay, yeah. This, that, I, <laughs> I, I, I like the scene. I like how his evolution in the character. And now I'm, I'm seeing him, ever since here, I've started to see him in a lot more Disney properties. Because wasn't he in Obi-Wan? Yep, he was one of the, he was the fake Jedi in Obi-Wan. Yep. So I feel like I've seen him in another thing. I just can't think of it. Off, off no, of no. Head, the thing is, he started off as a very meek comedian. Oh. Very meek and, you know, very thin comedian. And when they got this role, he buffed up. Oh, I'll take you where I, I knew nothing of this guy. Prior well, upon many of your future rewatches of this great movie of yours, check out the guns on this guy. He's got the veins popping out on these things. He's one of the few Eternals that when Ajax said, go live your own life, he took it and ran with it. Yes, he did. He lived his life. Okay, they traveled in his private jet to Australia where Sprite expresses annoyance at Kingo for abandoning her a while back for his famous new lifestyle. Of course, Kingo's making a documentary about this flight. <laughs> I can change rock into water and wood and air. Damn. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> What'd you write? <laughs> so when, when they're when they're talking about like, you know, I can Cersei, she's put on the spot, something she's never used to. Um and I can change a rock into a water into into air. I'm just like, well, you forgot rose petals. Yeah. You do bugs later. You know, you got infinite combinations. But the weird thing was, 
And it almost reminded me of Shang-Chi when they're on the airplane and that weird conversation that they have with the veganness. Yes. I got the same vibe when it was Cersei and Icarus. Well, look at the aging on the phone. Absolutely. It was the same kind of a weird forced joke. But the only thing with that one that I can kind of forgive it for is they don't age. So it kind of goes to the idea that they don't age because this leads into the next conversation with Kingo and Sprite, which Kingo expresses his frustrations about having to move every five years because people find it weird that Sprite is not aging. Yeah. So it kind of leads into that in that regard. It uses social media to do it. But the vegan one, I was like, if you cut that out, does anything change? No. Kingo has been a leading man for a hundred years, <laughs> mm-hmm. Sprite points out another logical fallacy, which is why Sprite remains my favorite person in this whole movie. Nobody in a hundred years has noticed the uncanny similarity in all five versions of Kingo in Bollywood. So if the movie calls out its own flaws, is it a flaw? Yes. Because that right there is kind of like saying, please don't be offended what I say next. Skip, no, I'm going to be offended. Okay. It's the same thing. It's, I'm going to call it the flaw so you can't call it out. No, I'm not going to call it out. Okay. I guess it's like, you know, I hate to be a bitch. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Okay. When you make a test for your classes and you mess up and you tell them, guys, I just want to let you know, there's a mistake on page three. I put the wrong sign on there. Please change it. Do the kids go, thank you. Now this is flawless. <laughs> <laughs> nope. They look at it, oh, I got a free point. <laughs> in Australia, the team locates Thena and Gilgamesh in their private location. Thena almost has another lapse where she tries to kill her family, but Gil is able to talk her down with help from Sprite. He cooks them dinner before they take the time to mourn Ajak. There is nothing more sad than an eternal with a messed up pie. What kind of pie was that? It looked like a blueberry pie. That's what I thought, but I was like, he does, that doesn't. There's no blueberries it, around that area. <laughs> no. It's some mystery meat. Yeah. It's a cute little dinner. Gross drink for Kingo. (laughs) It was so funny of him. Like, I think it was towards the end of that where he just gets so pissed off and says, fine, we'll do it this way. And then takes a drink and goes, God damn it. Yeah, it spits it out out again. It's like he forgot. Yeah. What what does he say? He says, yes, I take every corn kernel and chew it with my own. Chew it in my mouth to ferment it. And then I spit it back out. Um, no, that's natural comedy that was that, that was done good. And this is where, I, and I, I know I keep bringing her up, but this is where I think Sprite is at her best is at the table because you can tell they all see her as an equal, but the jokes are all in her look. Yeah, that's why I think, going back to it, it would have been cool if she was more of a leader within the group. But I also think it's cool that, you know, he goes, non-alcoholic for you. And he goes, she goes, ha, ha, ha. And then like waves her fingers and puts him yeah. in a bunny suit. And it was kind of like, <laughs> and it's like, see, they're not all against Sprite. They're on her side too with this whole thing. Yeah, no, I agree. Yeah. I think it would be better if she like did something and they had like, you know, drunken draw marks all over his face. Yes. <laughs> That'd have been just as good. Draw a dick on his face. Yeah, well, a little bit too much. There was a love scene earlier. Yeah, but there was no dicks thrown around. No, no dicks going. Um, So later on after this, you see Thena, and she's drawing by this tree. 
And when you see this, it's like almost like she's just rapidly drawing, doing, you know, drawing something. You don't know what it is yet. Yeah. And I'm just waiting for the camera to zoom in. And you just see this crazy lady alone in her room. And you're just ready for her to turn around and just have that camera zoomed in and that creepy white out look again. I was just waiting on that. This looks like just a senile ghost lady. I don't know what a, what Blumhouse movie this is, but I feel like I'm seeing it revolve right before my eyes. Do you know what she was drawing? She was drawing. Arishem. Yeah, it was Arishem. Yeah, yeah. We'll find that out later. Yeah. She has I'm seen Arishem. Yep. So her illness. Yes. That she has. We're mad, called illness. mad weary. It is, yeah, it is, it, it's almost like someone who has Alzheimer's. And I'll tell you, I've lived with someone yeah. with, with dementia, and it is a tough and a draining illness. And I think you really see that through the group when she's, when she turns around and her eyes are all glossed over white, and then Gilgamesh has to come in and calm her down, and everyone's just like, hi, Tina, welcome back. <laughs> you know, they, they, they know that, you know, she's going through something and Gilgamesh has done a fantastic job at taking care of her yeah. like any other caregiver. I mean, I, I guess I really felt for his character and what he's had to go through with taking on that responsibility of caring for her. Yeah. No, he definitely, if anybody in this is the heart of the group, it's probably Gilgamesh. Mm -hmm. He shows the most nurturing of the, of everybody in there. I mean, Fastos does it with his own family, but Gilgamesh is looking up for the people in his group. Yeah. Later, Cersei tells Gilgamesh about her new burden as leader and how she cannot figure out how to link herself to speak with Arisham. After relaxing herself, she is able to speak to the great celestial leader. Get ready for a data dump, everybody. He tells her that the emergence is happening, and he explains the true purpose of the Eternals. They were sent to bring forth the birth of the Celestial Tiamat, as new Celestials come about every few millennia, and they have done this process on other planets before Earth. They come about through intelligent life, which had been halted by the attack of the Deviants. But with the Eternals having gotten rid of them, Erishem says it is now time to wipe out all life on Earth to make way for Tiamat. Cersei is horrified by the revelation, but Erishem defends it by saying this is just the cycle of creation for their life forms. He then explains that Olympia never existed and that she and the other Eternals are just creations from the World Forge as artificial beings made for, uh, made for use by the Celestials. Cersei cannot remember this because the Eternals have their memories reset after each emergence. To top it off, Arishem created the Deviants to regulate the balance between the predators and prey so intelligent life may prosper, but he lost control of the Deviants and they became predators themselves. He made it so that Eternals could not evolve to correct his mistake. He made it so that Eternals could not evolve to correct his mistake. Now, we get this data dump, and this is when I start to go, hold on a second. What if this was a series of movies? Perhaps the better choice would be not reveal all of this until the end of the second movie. This is the reveal of Darth Vader as Luke's father. This is changing the world perspective of these characters. You could have, you could have explained more about these characters in the first movie. Then you get them recognizing that there is a traitor amongst them in the second movie, leading to this big-ass dump at the end of it. And then the third one is how they go about battling the five armies. This is supposed to be, this is a three in one movie. That, that's exactly what this is. I, I, I sat there and I was like, you know what? I understand now why I don't like this. This is a three movies in one movie. Boo! 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 And 
I hate it when movies do this. Steve? <laughs> I have PTSD from that soundbite because it is one of the scariest moments in cinematic history when that lady is zoomed in on the screen chanting boo. So in thank, Princess Bride? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> it is horrific. I apologize. Was, I did not like, know that that would be traumatic. It's a lot of information for sure, but it all makes sense. The um, from the celestial's point of view, it is a the emergence is a necessary evil. In order to expand the universe, celestials are needed. I also see the other side of it, and the destroying of a of an entire planet full of people to expand the universe is brutal. It begs the question: Are we worth saving? Some people like Icarus; they don't think that we are, and then you guys. People who, who are like Fastos, who, when we learn his backstory, he hated humanity, but then learn is learning the process of having faith again through his family. I think there was another way that they could have gone about this movie. I think, I don't know if I explain it later or not, maybe do this whole storyline, but instead, at the very end, once they've saved Earth, they turn on Erisham and go after Erisham himself. Because, I mean, it says that, you know, he made the Eternal so that they could not evolve to correct mistakes. He made the Eternal so that they wouldn't evolve. Well, guess what? He screwed up again. This imperfect, all-not-knowing Celestial made a second mistake again. He screwed up on the Deviants, and he screwed up on the Eternals. This guy's a bum. And I don't think the Celestials are these all-powerful beings that they say they are. Which, maybe it's... It's the size that matters, but we all know it's not the size that counts. It's the motion of the ocean. I just, that's my take on it. I, I like the way the movie was going, and I like that. It was a huge data dump. I'll give you that. But it was easy to follow, especially the second time around. First time, maybe it was a little tough, but the second time doing it, I was thoroughly engaged and liked it a lot more. So I think I understand why they made the Celestials mistake-ridden. And it's because they need the audience to connect with everything that's on the screen. It's hard for a, an audience to connect with somebody who has no flaws. Yes. Planets are eggs. Mm -hmm. People are cattle. Because of this, world religions are bullshit. Again, I can't imagine why audiences didn't line up in droves to see this. There's no connection for them. It is. The connection is gone. There is no connection for an audience to watch this movie and connect to anybody in this. There is no religion in this, in this movie. There's no connection. In, by this by that regard, then, there's no religion in the MCU. Have we seen it any other time? Yes. Miss Marvel. And when did we see religion in Miss Marvel? Oh, Miss Marvel. Yeah. Thinking Captain Marvel. Okay. No, so no, a, we're not revisiting that. <laughs> okay, okay. So in Miss Marvel... In the MCU, yes. That's a TV show, though. Not everybody's... Are, are the, these movies so far aren't TV show dependent. In Iron Man 3, before Iron Man sends off the Iron Legion to take care of everybody, he does the cross on his chest. I'll take your word for it. Let's take him to church. Like, Let's take him to church. That, <laughs> that, that, that seems like a mockery. It just Captain like America. Mockery. Captain America in Avengers, when... Uh, when Loki and Thor jump out of the plane, Black Widow tells Captain America, don't do it, Cap. These are gods. And he goes, 
my God doesn't dress like that. I mean, I can keep pointing at quotes throughout the entire thing, but the fact is the reason why this, first of all, this comic book run, the Eternals only lasted 19 issues. It was, okay. it was, it was lasted for 19 and then it was canceled because no one was buying it. So that's 19 issues is, is low. I don't know. Yeah. Nine, don't know 19 issues you're looking at. It was around for a year and a half. Okay. And then they canceled, they canceled it all together because it was not relatable. And I think that they try to make these characters relatable by giving them flaws, but you can't just do that and then take away everything that humanity is built around. Because if these people, if these Eternals are learning about being human because of the humanity of people, and we know that humanity from people comes from the morals that we get that is passed down through time from theology, and you remove that, then where does the humanity and morals come from? That, that's why I look at this, and the deeper you look in it, you kind of go, uh-oh, uh-oh. Uh-oh. How strict is the are these characters and the story? How closely tied to the comics is it? It's it's very loosely done at this point because they couldn't do the comic book run because it was a failure. Okay. So they tried to read, like Ajax in the comics okay. is a guy. Um, Did that matter whether it's a guy or not? It, here's the thing. If you've never read the comics, it doesn't mean a thing to you. Yeah, it doesn't. Yeah, for me, I look at I look at the movie that's in front of me. I try not to compare it to what it was before. But okay. but if they're going to correct something from before, correct it in a positive manner. Don't just correct it like the anti-trilogy in Star Wars. So if you think they would have brought all of like the religion into this, do you think it would have been more well-perceived? I think that if they hadn't negated that these religions are out there, then it would have been more well received. Not 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 super not super more, but definitely more well received. So just recognizing Christianity, Hinduism, um, all those other religions, and the fact that they actually exist and have meaning in this movie um, would have made it better. I think I think that it would have because I think one of the things that people liked was when Kingo mentions Thor and says, Thor used to run around and follow me around and now I can't get him on my speed dial or whatever it is. Mm -hmm. And he's like, okay, there's a recognition of that, but we also know that that's a false religion because they aren't gods. They're just what the humans perceived as because they were so much more powerful. And I just looked at, I mean, I guess I didn't, from that perspective of him, Kingo talking about Thor, Second of all, I can't, first thing, I can't even remember that conversation. Second thing, let's say I did, I don't take away any recognition of religion with that yeah. whatsoever because I don't think it's needed. I just think, oh, it's just, you know, this super being just like Thor was, who's known throughout society, yeah. just like everybody else that, hey, just because we're these superhero beings, we should be friends. And we were at one point and now not so much, but a lot of stuff has happened between Thor and them. Kind of went through a little mental crisis breakdown. Now the Eternals are robots. Olympia is just a forge. Why make Sprite a child? All part of Arishim. I don't know. It's, it's all, just, say it. It's all, I, it's all part of the plan. <laughs> there it I is. Think it was just, I think it was just an avatar that was just chosen and I didn't think there was any meaning. Yeah. We look, we look at her as a child, but when Arishim chose that avatar for Sprite, did he think of it that way? Uh, yeah, I don't know. Cersei breaks the revelation to the others. They are stunned by the knowledge of their true purpose, but most of them resolve to find a way to save the people of Earth. They figure they must find Druig and see if he may use his power to overtake the mind of Tiamat. Why was Cersei chosen? I'm not seeing any leadership out of her. I see it coming from Icarus. Oh, yeah, sure. Give it to the power hot-headed one. I mean, but 
someone's saying go in that direction. Cersei's kind of like, I don't know. Take me along. I don't, I'll figure it out. She's more of the, well, let's, let's think about this. She's more of the rational one, I think. She's definitely the more rational of the two, yes. So I think somebody with that kind of power, it's, I mean, she's not as, the difference between Ajax and Cersei is Cersei has self-doubt. Ajax doesn't have that. She's still that nurturing person. She's still that mother quality. You said it earlier, and I totally agree with you. Out of the all the Eternals, it's definitely Ajax who's that mother quality. The next one in line would be Cersei. Yeah. Like, is the big sister. She's the older sibling out of everybody who's naturally, when you get old enough, and it's when it's your turn, you're supposed to take over that mantle i know i she's still figuring herself out yet okay uh the eternals and karun travel to the amazon where druig is staying in a village where he has been keeping watch over the people for decades he is not so keen to help the others in their mission as he has grown cynical and weary over the knowledge of what they were meant to do okay druig is a cult leader now (laughs) you know the more this movie goes on the more i think i start to really like druig and i think you hit it on the head where he's that lucifer type yeah. person. I think that is a, that is a great analogy for it. Yeah. And then, they're, so they're talking to Druig and of course, Cersei's phone has to ring because vegan or meat guys, vegan or meat. Uh, this is just to remind you that Dane Whitman is a thing because it means nothing since Kingo can't get reception. You're telling me that Cersei, the school teacher has a better reception plan on her phone than the Bollywood star. Fuck you MCU. Why he asked, Hey, we're kind of, what kind of data what kind of service do you have and she's not just a school teacher she's a university professor that's, that's a school a teacher higher the school that's a school no no i know higher. university pro- i know university professors trust me they're on the same level okay none of these people act like they have seven thousand years of experience you know when you find out your whole existence is a lie those experiences start to change meaning i mean i think i saw that for sure when druid found out everything right then and there in that little makeshift uh, chapel. I just think of like when I was like 20 years old and how when you're 20, you think you know everything. You think you're invincible. Here I'm at 43. I'm so much more wiser than I was at 20. Mm -hmm. I've lived so much more life. I'm able to make much better decisions. Add 7,000 years to that. I should be fucking brilliant. These are the dumbest immortals I've ever seen on film. <laughs> Their whole purpose was a lie, though. 7,000 years. Their purpose was, completely... but, but they've been living on their own for what? 2,000 years? Who are the ones that have actually been living? Well, they've all Kingo. been living. They've all been living. Living, and then you have living. Well, what I, I guess what I mean when I say that is who's taking advantage of creating a life? And, and gathering the most experiences. I mean, I can't say Ajax. I can't say Icarus. Um, well, Ajax basically Kingo. retired. It looks like she retired. <laughs> yes. Yeah, she just retired in South Dakota. Yeah. They all went off to do their own thing. The only one we don't know what they did was Icarus. Icarus. At night, Kingo talks to Sprite and states that he knows that she's in love with Icarus, but has not been able to act on it due to her childlike experience, appearance. Appearance. Soon, Crow and other deviants attack the village. The Eternals fight them, but Crow overpowers Gilgamesh and absorbs his energy. What? 
Nothing. I'm just talking my head. Sorry. Just looking at how long this thing is going. Yes. Yeah, I know. <laughs> Trust me, I know. Because the pacing of this movie is dog shit. Okay. The Eternals let fight them, but Crow overpowers Gilgamesh and absorbs his energy, gaining the ability to walk on two legs and speak English. After he leaves, Thena stays by Gilgamesh's side as he dies. The other Eternals mourn him. Druig agrees to join the team in honor of Gil and knows they need to find Fastos now. Uh, sp- okay, Sprite's Pathos. Continually evolving with the Peter Pan Tinkerbell story. It makes sense. Yes, it does. Uh this whole thing just slows everything down. Uh, I like the the design of the deviants, but it kind of reminds me of the Dinobots and Transformers. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they do seem a little. Uh, there, there's a lot of CGI that's that 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 is attached to the deviants, um, even more so when they become more ma- um, human like. Yes, um, but. You know, the, the deviants to me just make more sense from their point of view. And I mean, I'd be pissed too. They were made from the Celestials to, um, they were made to do their thing. And then they happened to evolve because the creator messed up. And then instead of fixing the deviants themselves, he sends in another plan to fix the original plan, only to have the new plan evolve too. So yeah. again, the Celestials, I've, I'm losing more and more respect for them. No, no. Other than the fact that they're just massive. That's the only thing they hold against them. Because when you think about the Celestials are basically worshiping at the altar of the, no, the Eternals are worshiping at the altar of the Celestial, you know? And in doing so, this is them tearing down their own God, if you will, to live Mm -hmm. on their own. Mm -hmm. Icarus doing his best Man of Steel impersonation. (laughs) I can't not not see that it's hard That's, not to i'll tell you he could pull off with superman when i saw it second time it says he can do superman when I he's think he, can, he just can't do clark kent when he's punching the deviant through the air i'm like i saw this in, in uh, injustice too yes <laughs> that's a great finisher yes <laughs> Okay, flashback to 1945, Hiroshima, just after the dropping of the atomic bomb. Fasto stands among the aftermath of the bombing. He weeps to Ajak, feeling remorse for helping humans develop and advance in technology, only to continue killing each other. It is here where he loses faith in humanity. Yet it's here where he decides to live in a human existence. Okay. Also, this was the guy who didn't see how the steam engine would lead to violence of war? Yeah, what were you thinking? (laughs) Okay. But then again, maybe that's just, like, he needs to evolve civilization. That's that. That's his purpose in there. So, did he have a choice? I mean, is he the one that cuts him off? Like, nope, this is too powerful for you. We're just going to end you guys right here because then they'll never evolve. Exactly. And I, I will say this: this is where we enter. Joe's going to redo the story. This movie should have occurred on another planet. Like the Kree homeworld of Hala or the Skrull homeworld, though they may touch on that in a later incarnation of the MCU. It should have ended with the Eternals coming to Earth, a planet that was rendered infertile to the celestial process and thus was forgotten amongst the celestials. Ereshem has found a way to restart the birthing process for Earth, the humanity we see from Fastos and the rest would have made more sense because they were not protected or guided by the Eternals. They grew on their own and created their own mythologies. What do you think of that? 
Yeah, it's a it's a different take. I can't say no to it. I I mean, that does seem more of the fish out of water. It would also give us an idea of whether like what's going on in the Cree homeworld because they they keep mentioning Cree, but no one ever fucking goes mm-hmm. there. We know that the Cree and the Skrulls have their issues together. Maybe the Celestials were part of the reason why of that. They took away the Skrull planet. The Skrulls blamed the Kree because at the time there was a war going on, you know, tie it together a little bit. But also it leaves humanity alone over here as something for the Eternals to come towards rather than they were already here all along, just dicking around, not doing anything as humanity killed itself. Present day Chicago. Fastos lives with his husband, Ben, and their son, Jack, and the Eternals find him at their home. Jack recognizes Icarus from TV from his fight with Crow that was featured on the news. Fastos is not willing to abandon his family for the sake of a dangerous mission, but Ben tells him to go through with it if it means that there will be a future for them and Jack together. The kid's wearing a Chicago Bills Zach Levine jersey. That's an odd choice. I mean, you always got that one kid who wants to, doesn't want the Jordan jersey or the Derrick Rose jersey or, you know, whoever else is on there. You want that... You want that Joey Coaster jersey or the, uh, <laughs> or the Kozlov jersey. Because I remember if I saw somebody wearing a Larianoff jersey, I was like, okay. That's man, nice. Where'd you, get that? where'd you get that from? That's cool. That's not Federoff. It's not Eisenman. It's not McCarty. You know, yeah. it's, the, it's, it's, it's the odd one. I love I that thought, Fastos is a hypocrite about his powers. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and he's a great dad. Yep, he does a very good job. Yeah, he's in there helping the kid brush his teeth. He was, you know, I saw that. I was like, this is the same thing I do to my kids. This is where I laugh the hardest in this movie. And it's <clears> not <throat> the joke. It's the delivery of it. He goes, when after Icarus breaks the table, he goes, fall collection, Ikea, ass. Yeah. <laughs> it's a great yeah. ass. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, that was a good line. You saw that in the trailers. Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, we didn't see the ass part. No. Yeah. Uh, Ben is correct in persuading Fastos to go, but Fastos shouldn't need persuasion. With great power comes great responsibility. Yeah, he just, I guess it's a parent thing where you don't want to leave your kid. Yes, you want them to be able to live on longer and do all that. I I, I do get that, but it's also tough to leave your family at the same time. So... It's, you can think about, yeah, yeah, it's a good idea, but then you kind of look back and say, well, I got to leave my family. And that's tough to do. And that's something that he's struggled with ever since the Hiroshima bomb where he gave up on humanity. And he says, this is, I now have, I don't know if he uses the word faith or he now, he, well, he says, I got lucky, you know, and he's starting to restore his faith in humanity again. And it's, he's worked so hard to get back there. It's tough to give up. The Eternals travel to Iraq where they uncover the Domo as well as Makari having lived among the locals. Fastos comes up with the idea of linking everyone's powers together through the Unimind, which will allow them to transfer their powers so that Druig may mind control Tiamat. When Kingo tells Icarus that he would follow him to the end, Icarus tells him he is not who Kingo thinks he is. Okay, Makari. Sprite may be the best written character on the show, but Makari's my favorite. Yeah, she's one of my favorites too. Between her and Fastos, those are my two favorite ones. Yeah, uh, this is Makari, or should I say Miss Havisham? <laughs> Great joke, because she's a hoarder. Uh, oh, yeah. Oh, look, it's the Ebony Blade. Get it? Dane Whitman's a thing. No, just, I don't get it. Just reminding you, that's that's what Black Knight uses is the Ebony Blade. Oh, yep. okay. Uh, oh, look, the Emerald Tablet. What was the point of that again? Okay, so I had to look this up. The actual Emerald Tablet contains Hermetic text. Hermetic, Hermes, Mercury, Makari, 
get it? Yeah, it's a long journey for no payoff. I know. Yeah, if you look that up, you get all that. But if you don't look it up, you don't know what's going on. Nope, it's just, it's just one a, more thing thrown inside, in there. It's an inside joke between those two that everybody else is left out on. Which is exactly what movies should do all the time, is just do a bunch of inside jokes the audience can't relate to. Okay, six days earlier, we see Ajax having gone to visit Icarus to tell him about the emergence and how the Avengers, having brought everyone back to Earth after Thanos erased them, brought about the energy needed for the Deviants to come back. She has since begun to doubt their purpose and thinks they shouldn't go through with the mission because of how close they have become with the people of Earth. Icarus brings Ajax to a location near an icy lake where he has located Deviants because he refuses to abandon the mission. He throws Ajax to the Deviants, where Crow goes on to absorb her energy and gain her power. Icarus flies her body to her house, where he will later find her with Cersei and Sprite. And I feel like Salma Hayek does a great job with her monologue. I, I just don't know why she was cast in such a small role. I think she would have been a better Cersei. Maybe. Yeah. I mean, you got their, uh, your flashbacks with her yeah. that you wanted from the beginning. But yeah, for being such a big name character, I guess. I mean, it's not like they needed the superpower of actors and actresses in this movie. You know, you already had Angelina Jolie. You had um, the Game of Thrones boys. <laughs> so uh, famous, we forgot their names. <laughs> you know me. I am not good with names at all. Had that I guy with the beard. You had the guy who... <laughs> I have a history with bad names. Watch, listen to the podcasts. Uh, as the deviants evolve, I feel it relies a little too much on CGI. The motion doesn't look natural. That's a that's that's a nitpicky thing, I think. Um, Icarus hasn't shown emotion outside of banging Cersei yet earlier in the movie. And now he's going to do the lethal weapon scream after he knowingly sacrifices Ajax in the coldest manner ever. Sorry, writers. We're not sympathizing with him. Yeah, I don't know what the whole point of him like getting really angry was just the fact that he was setting up the scene. Cause I mean, he does like scar the earth right there. If he wanted to make sure that there was some kind of battle, I don't know. Yeah. Or it was just him just, what have I done? I <laughs> think. You know? Now, he knew exactly what he was doing. Anakin didn't know. Look at that. He's making me cry. <laughs> Fasto sends Makari to locate the source of the emergence, which turns out to be an active volcano in the Indian Ocean. Icarus goes to stop their plan as soon as, as he soon reveals that Ajax told him about the emergence after they left Babylon. They realize that he killed her and is planning to go through with the emergence at whatever the cost. Sprite joins him due to her love for him. Kingo ends up leaving the team with Karun for fear that he will end up getting him killed if they have to go against Arisham. Although Cersei expresses her doubts, Dina assures her that she was chosen by Ajax to succeed her for a reason. Fastos then offers to reprogram the stone in Cersei from linking to Arisham to linking to all of them to form the Unimind. How will all of their powers going into Druig help him with the Unimind? They don't all have the same power of Druig, so it's not like it's being compounded. If anything, it'll make Druig an omnipotent god with a bad attitude. Yeah, I don't think it, it definitely doesn't take everybody's powers and puts them in one. It takes their energy that sort that gives source to their powers okay. and puts it all into one. Okay. Okay. All right. Maybe I missed that. I probably missed that. Um, 
so they kind of make he, he kind of make well first off i think even fastos when he pulls that orb out of cersei he's like beyond shocked that he was able to do that but he makes it seem so simple he's like oh my god this like actually worked yeah you know? and then eventually he makes these bracelets is that what he makes they uh, go, and, yeah and you see them clink against everybody i'm yeah. like this seemed like it could have been such a good setup for the 10 rings it would have been a good explanation as to where they came from, because this comes out after Shang-Chi. Mm -hmm. And if you set this movie, not after the Thanos thing, but maybe it's 2000 years back still, you know, you don't need to set this movie in modern times. There's nothing in this that requires you to set it in modern times. But if you were to put it back then, you could explain where those rings came from so that Shang-Chi, you have that now explained. But now there's 20 rings. <laughs> well, yeah, I guess, you know, these are bracelets, <laughs> those are rings, but in the movie Shang-Chi, they're worn as bracelets. Right, right, rings. right. Um, so I guess it would be interesting to see I'm trying to look it up here. So, oh yes, the original order of where the Eternals were supposed, Eternals were supposed to fall. And it was supposed yes. to come out before Shang-Chi. Mm -hmm. And now it came out immediately after, which I personally think is a better. I think Eternals coming out after Shang-Chi would have been better, but that's only if they would have linked the, um, the 10 rings. I'm wondering if there was a rewrite to when they switched the order of it. There had to have been a rewrite in the stories because you can't okay. be, Marvel's not so, Marvel isn't so above everybody else to not see that they've named a movie, The Ten Rings, and you have literally 10 rings in the Eternals. You can't. Or they didn't rewrite it and they and they messed up because if I think about it, if you put it the other way around and Eternals comes out first and then Shang-Chi, then when Bruce Banner and Wong are all looking at these things saying, where do these come from? This is from no power we've ever seen before. That makes sense when you see that created by Fostos, created by Eternals um, in this movie. Yeah, yeah. That makes So the original order, again, still stands better. Okay, so you say our villain is finally revealed. Who's the villain? Icarus. You sure? Yes, it is. It is Icarus. It's not Arishem? Nope, Arishem is just an idiot. Nope, because he doesn't, I don't think he, I, I don't look at him as having any villainy in him. He's just an idiot. Well, what what exactly is Icarus's villainy? Because realistically, his motivation is pure. There is nothing tainted um, about it. He doesn't want the death of anything. He just sees it as this is the job. Well, he, he ends up killing Ajax. So he turns on his own mother, someone he would follow to to the end. And I think that's what, turns him to the dark side. Well, no, he, he killed her because she was going to get in the way of the job that they were supposed to do, mm -hmm. which is not a negative motivation if they're designed to do that. I think the story and how it's told is supposed to have the audience thinking along the lines of the Eternals, of saving humanity, not necessarily thinking of the destruction of Earth, because if it were me, I don't want her to be destroyed. No, me either. I like it. I, I actually, I feel the audience is Karun. Is that how you say his name? Yes. That is the audience right there. And he has that little sentimental moment when he says goodbye to everybody. Yeah. Um, and 
Icarus is the antagonist in that in that aspect. So he, yes, he's following through with Arishim's plan, um, but he's more of the villain, in my opinion, because he's doing all of the dirty work. Okay. Uh, Sprite leaving for Icarus makes sense for a character. Uh, mm-hmm. Kingo leaving because he's a coward does not. He literally called out Fastos for being a coward 20 minutes beforehand for stepping on a chip bag. <laughs> um, Kingo believes that in the emergence, he, he believes in the emergence. He believes that that needs to happen, but not at the cost of turning code of his family. If you're going to die anyway, die fighting. Being, I guess, in the entertaining business that he has, he's not all about that. Well, he was fighting he a second ago him. with the deviants in the Amazon. Dishoom! <laughs> <laughs> That's what he, that, 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 that is his nature. That is what he's programmed to do is to kill the deviants. Um, okay. The argument that by preventing the destruction of this planet would prevent other worlds from existing is looking only at the cause of the situation and not the effect. Yes, the other worlds would exist to be destroyed. The equation remains balanced which is kind of what Thanos was all about. Yes. He was got a crack. Oh, how, how do I say it? You want to break a couple eggs to make your omelet. Exactly. And, that's uh, I believe that that's why I think Arishem is more of a villain than Icarus. Icarus is following orders, orders from Arishem. Arishem is Palpatine. Icarus is just Darth Vader. And Darth Vader is a bigger villain than anybody else in the entire world. As soon as I said it, I heard it because I was like, no, because Darth Vader made a choice to do evil and he knows he's doing his evil. There is nothing pure about what Vader is doing. Icarus, it's not a negative thing. It, it hurts him to see himself hurting his family, but they have a job to do. It's your Captain America, if you will. Is Captain America a villain? No, he's righteous. Right. Maybe Doesn't Icarus is too. Icarus is righteous also in what he's thinking. Doesn't kill anybody though. Technically, Icarus didn't either because Ajax is just a robot. Okay. Uh, the sta- <laughs> Hey, I'm going to keep bringing it back. 7,000 years and Cersei didn't know the extent of her powers. What the fuck were the people doing the past 7,000 years? Nobody seems to have grown at all. But when, did they, when were all the deviants killed off? Like 5,000 years prior to this? Yeah. So everything's been dormant for 5,000 years. But they've been living. They haven't learned. Like, she's still using her powers. She's not Obi-Wan where she turned it off and then was like, oh, I can't do any lightsaber battles until the thir- the sixth episode when I call this and I'm a badass. <laughs> I'm taped on my episode. The, <laughs> the Eternals gather by the volcano and begin to battle Icarus. He seemingly kills Druig and fights the others just before Krill arrives to attack. Thena fights Crow, where he taunts her and nearly absorbs her life force until she slices them to pieces. Sprite attempts to take down Cersei, but Druig emerges and knocks Sprite out. Fastos has the best one-liners in the fight, but Makari is the best speed fighter put to film. <laughs> I remember you talking about this right before I watched it, and you said this was the best uh, showing yeah. of how somebody with supersonic speed or really good speed, how they should be acting moving. And you're exactly right. When she's fighting um, Icarus. Yes. I saw, and you brought it up already. I saw Injustice 2. <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> and it's such a sweet move from the flash. Yes. I get it. Uh, damn Sprite, removing the ex-girl from the picture? 
That's what 7,000 years of being overlooked would look like. <laughs> uh, Cersei should be dead or at least mortally wounded. I mean, yeah, she can turn the knife into water, but the damage still remains inside of her. She can't self-heal, right? What is inside of her? I don't know. Is she a robot? A synthetic being? So one more thing humanity can't relate to? <laughs> Maybe. I it's a trap! <laughs> Did you look? Did you lawyer up? Okay, here we go. <laughs> Icarus is a bit overpowered here, wouldn't you say? I mean, he's crashed the freaking Domo by slicing it in half. Yes, I agree. Yeah, at least Thena was given some purpose in this movie. Good on her. No, no, she had other than just being a badass fighter. What has she really done? She killed Crow. Well, only because of Gilgi. Yeah. She left the battlefield to, to, for for her own issues. <laughs> yeah, for revenge. She says revenge won't revenge won't. Uh, I don't know what Gil or what uh, Fosto says, you know, or whatever. Won't bring him back or anything. It's, yeah, it says, but killing him will will feel better or something like that. I was like, yeah. well, that's some, that's dark side right there. Wait, so the good guys are the dark side. Maybe Green Icarus Jedi. is Icarus on the light side then, Steve? No. <laughs> After they subdue Icarus, the Unimind is activated and Cersei takes on the combined powers of the other Eternals as Tiamat begins to emerge from the volcano. With her powers, Cersei freezes Tiamat and causes it to remain as some kind of statue. Icarus frees himself, but he free feels great remorse for his actions and chooses to fly himself directly into the sun. Uh, the beach battle. I love the look of it. I think it's a fantastic looking battle. It's even afterwards, even after the battle's done and they're all on the beach there, you can hear the wind, you can hear the waves crashing. It's, I would love to go there. It's, you know, it's very much a setting that you would see for like the beginnings of life on the planet. Mm -hmm. Just yes. the way that looks. Uh, the irreparable damage to the earth in general from this even should have event should have wiped out whole cities, coastlines, even some countries, Steve, the matter displacement alone would have created a global event that kills a pretty substantial part of life on the planet. Yet business as usual, I guess, because you froze it. No. I don't know why you weren't playing immigrant song for that one. <laughs> don't need to. It's simple. It's uh, it's science. It's middle school science. <laughs> yeah, from a science standpoint, I get it. Yeah, it kind of that's a massive creature coming out of there from the center of the earth. Yep, um, exploding through the bedrock um, underneath the ocean. Do you remember and, when they talked about it in Spider-Man: uh, No Way Home? You'd have to refresh my memory. That's because they didn't. Do you remember when they talked about it in Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness? No. No, no, it wasn't there either. This massive planetary event isn't mentioned in the next two movies. What the fuck? It's, it's in a different multiverse. Oh, you bastard. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's my biggest gripe with the multiverse. It's not mentioned in Miss Marvel. Okay, in the it, that takes place, part of it's in Pakistan, which is right by India, which is on the coast of the Indian Ocean. Oh my God, I'm just putting that together. Jesus Christ. Did those happen at the same time? 
Well, no, this happens after Eternals. Eternals takes place eight months after the Thanos thing. Okay. So yeah. in Miss Marvel's well after that. Oh yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh, the Eternals, oh no, in the aftermath, Cersei understands Sprite's frustration with her life, so she uses the Unimind to take away Sprite's immortality so that she may live a normal life. Wait, if she was designed to grow, if she wasn't designed to grow up, how can this change? She's a robot. Do they just put a timer on her gears to stop at a certain point? <laughs> Celestial power is a powerful thing. So they're gods. Godlike. The Eternals split up once again. Just like vampires. The f- that <laughs> the Eternals split up once again with Thena joining Makari and Druig on the Domo as they go look for other Eternals while Fastos returns to his family Sprite lives as a human and Kingo returns to his work but they all maintain a firm love for one another Aw, Cersei rejoins Dane hey remember him who tells her that his family history is more complicated than he realized suddenly Erisham appears in the sky and summons Cersei Kingo and Fastos he tells them that he knows that they failed his plan for the emergence but chooses to spare them for now and then disappears i wish i would i, I didn't put anything in there but when erishim shows up yeah and i think i mentioned this earlier that's where i got the whole crap how really big are these celestials and then you see him what it's like from earth and then they takes out cersei all the way out to space and then there he is yeah and in, rel- in relationship to where the moon is I can't imagine what the people on Earth are thinking when Erisham all of a sudden shows up. I mean, you uh, see the panic stricken afterwards. Right. No, no. It's first, first of all, when he shows up, the clouds part, people are panicked. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The people of Earth and the MCU have really had a rough going the last five years. Uh, <laughs> they, they, they had a. <laughs> Thanos nearly wiped, well, Thanos wiped out everybody for five years. Uh, came, yeah. Then everybody brought him back. There's a massive battle that probably destroyed miles and miles and miles of land. Uh, you have a, a monster crawling out of the Indian Ocean. You have mm-hmm. deviants running around all over the goddamn place. And now you have this big ass robot in the sky. Call Jeff Bezos uh, an idiot, but the guy's got the right idea. Let's get her asses to space and get the fuck out of here. <laughs> yeah. So, is uh, is Arishim bigger than the moon? Oh yeah. So, you think that Arishim coming to Earth just like that, all of a sudden, that would have effect on the weather? Obviously, the clouds parted. Do you think that would have an effect on the oceans? Absolutely, but science doesn't matter in this movie, does it? So that probably him coming there created all could have made some massive waves would have could have taken out Tiamat and buried him under under the water. Well, no, no, it wouldn't have buried him because he's already displaced. I don't think it would have changed the tides, possibly. Mm-hmm. If 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 Arishem has a gravitational pull. But gravi- yeah, gravi- I guess that's true. the gravitational yeah, pull for, by the moon that pulls the tides is based off of it spinning. Okay. Yeah. Um, okay, we get a mid-credit scene. Thena, Makari, and Druig are struggling to find other Eternals as well as their own friends who have vanished. They are found by a troll named Pip and his employer, Eros, or Star Fox, the brother of Thanos and fellow Eternal who promises to help the other three in their mission. Harry Styles is Thanos' brother. Okay. I'm Shaq's brother. No. I believe This pissed me right the f*** off. Why, Sorry, Steve? I apologize. No, because it's Harry Styles. 
And? I just wish it was, and I don't know. I don't want for One Direction in here. No. I just, I, when I saw him, I just thought that this was just another singer, athlete, wanting to jump into the MCU just because they think it's cool and they paid somebody or did something and now they're in here and it's freaking Harry Styles. Now, I know I might retract my words because it's the MCU. We're always trying to bring, we're always trying to bring people into the MCU. This is massive thing. But it's Harry freaking Styles. Maybe it's because it's well after my time of what he represents to our society now. But I just was like, it could have been anybody else. I just, it's like, it just turned me off. I lost all credibility. Plus, call the name Star Fox. How dare you insult that Nintendo 64 video game? (laughs) It's a great game. So, no, well, what I was going to say is, uh, I can understand. You know, Harry, we don't want to see our pop singers showing up in this shit. Um, many have done well in the franchises that they have joined. I mean, Ludacris is in, uh, great in the Fast movies. Oh, for one. Common shows up in weird shit. Who? Exactly. Uh, look at Ice Cube. He's carved out quite a career. Harry Styles. Look, I know Harry Styles looks kind of foofy and all that stuff, but you know who else looked foofy before they had a massive role that everybody all of a sudden adored him for? Heath Ledger. Heath Ledger was in 10 Things I Hate About You. And then he was the fucking Joker. And everybody said, oh my God, we were completely wrong about this. Mm-hmm. Maybe this is the right decision. If you want to put Harry Styles, Star Fox, and Heath Ledger's Joker in the same sentence, in the same realm, I'm going to use a quote that a guy from Nashville told me right before the pandemic, Mm. and I still use it to this day. You do you. (laughs) (laughs) He's also Eros, which is, you know, got to love. I was going to say, that's about he's a great, guy. he's a great seducer. I'm going to reserve some judgment for styles and Pip just because we don't know what this universe is going to do with them, but he's a fellow eternal. That means that he was made by the celestials, right? Correct. Okay. And if he's the brother of Thanos, that means that Thanos is also an eternal, correct? Yes. Is this another Thor Loki adoption thing or is Thanos not a natural being, but a created being? Well, I mean, only through the movies. We don't know Thanos's origin. If Thanos is created by the Celestials, because he's an Eternal yes. also. Yes. If yes. that's the case, and it's not an adoption mm-hmm. situation, okay, yes. then that means, that goes back to what you said earlier, which is, do the Celestials know about Thanos? Bringing it all the way around, Steve. Bringing it all the way around. Very it's a trap. Clever. I see that. <laughs> I see that. I see that. They do know about Thanos. If 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 this whole story is this completely makes sense. Yes. Um, but do they know Thanos's plan? <laughs> 
Okay. They don't, they okay. Don't know, they know who Thanos is. They don't know what his All right. motivation is. They don't, yeah, they, don't, they don't keep track of their Eternals. Okay. Uh, post-credits. <laughs> There's a post-credits scene because you need to show Dane one more time. Dane is in his family home staring at the ebony blade, seemingly seeming hesitant to grab hold of it. Before he can make up his mind, an off-screen voice, which we would actually rather see rather than Dane Whitman, is confirmed to be Mahershala Ali as Blade, asking Dane if he feels like he's ready. Kind of excited here, Mahersha Ali's blade here. Yes, when he was announced as Blade, that was exciting to to have the bring that bring that character back, and I like him. I just don't know. Do you feel like the MCU is getting too weird for its britches at this point? I don't know. I can't say yes. I can't say no. Too early. Too early. Too early. That's all, folks. Finally, Uh, yeah, Uh, we've been talking about this movie for an hour and fifty five minutes. That's it? I thought it was longer than that. Okay. That's okay. I thought the movie did too. Uh, according to the top critics at Rotten Tomatoes, it has a tomato meter reading of 36%. Ouch. 25 fresh, 44 rotten. The critics on average gave this almost 5.4 out of 10. The critics consensus says, quote, an ambitious superhero epic that soars as often as it strains. Eternals takes the MCU in intriguing and occasionally confounding new directions. Okay. Let's see what the rotten let's see what the rotten one said. Nicholas Barber of the BBC says, quote, Eternals may not be the worst of Marvel's movies, but it's undoubtedly the most disappointing. I would say it's too early to say it's disappointing because we don't know where it's going to lead to. I guess if you're grading it in the grand scheme of things, then yes. Yeah. Uh, A.A. Dowd of the AV Club says, despite the depth of the ensemble and the acting talents assembled to bring it to life, these Eternals really only come in three varieties, brooding, quippy, and both. (laughs) Except for Ajax, who was neither of those. Yeah. Uh, And then Mick LaSalle of San Francisco Chronicle says, it takes a special kind of movie, anti-magic, to make an entire audience indifferent to the potential destruction of the planet and the elimination of all life and Earth. Eternals manages it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> now the audience score, this is more in line with what you thought. You're the audience. Gave it a 78% saying it's a three or higher, a four out of five average. So you're kind of on the audience side there, Steve. Well, yeah. Yeah. I agree. Uh, uh, movie's over. Were you entertained? <laughs> and I'm going to say, I'm going to start by saying it's a Marvel movie. It has entertaining moments. And unfortunately they're surrounded by a lot of dumb Steve. The second time around, I think it made it better. Made it. Uh, yes, I was definitely entertained, even off the tiny screen and watching it all the way through this time on the regular 55-inch TV I think I have in my bedroom. I'll say this. Despite what you think, I am happy that you loved this movie. I never said I loved it. That you you enjoy it much more than I do. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Did the awards get it right? Absolutely, they did. Academy Awards, zero nominations. Golden Globe, zero nominations. The MTV Movie Awards even said, fuck you, we'd rather see here from Shang-Chi. The, but here's the thing. The Yoga Awards, it got a win. For Never a, heard of the Yoga Awards for Official Incompetence Award for Chloe Zhao, the director of Eternals. Also, Lana Wachowski of The Matrix Resurrections won that one. That's some fantastic company, Chloe. 
I feel like when you first saw this, you were applauding. <laughs> I couldn't help it. That, that thing. So the only one I kind of surprised that didn't get anything was the MTV Movie Awards for visual effects. I don't even know if they even have an award for that. They don't. They got like best fight and best hero oh, okay. and all that stuff. Because, I mean, the cinematography was good. Yeah. I mean, it was very, it was like you said before, it was a very beautiful movie. Um, so I guess I'm surprised we didn't get anything for that. It was up against Black Widow and Shang-Chi. I would give it the nod over both. But that's the thing. Those awards usually are the Academies and the Goldens. They're not the MTV movie. You know, they're like best hero, and it's like, well, which one? I don't fucking know. Best kiss. Best kiss. Yeah. <laughs> best making love moment in a Disney movie. Oh, okay. God. On to the next segment titled Top Three, Bottom Three. Okay, here's my top three. My number three is the beach battle. I love the beach battle. I think it looks cool. I love Fastos as he's talking, saying, I'm going to clip your wings. I've always wanted to clip your wings. I thought that was a cool little line. Um, Makari fighting is badass. Just pummeling the shit out of Icarus into a wall. Thank you for that. Uh, My number two is the costume design. I will say this about Marvel. Marvel does good when it comes to their costume design. It's nothing over crazy. They took a lot of the ideas that they had in the comics and said, yeah, let's simplify these because no one's going to buy into the fact that these are all powerful. Now I was going to say they, they, they came close to screwing up the costume design because if they would have went for the more vibrant colors and everybody, each represented individual, you would have got the MCU's power Rangers. Oh, when they were all lined up, I was thinking it. Yes. <laughs> it reminded me of in the Mandalorian when the five motor scooters all show up and they're all different colors and you're like, fuck me. <laughs> yes. Okay. And my number one is Sprite's character development. I know they started this whole thing with Cersei, but they didn't spend any time on Cersei. They spent it all on Sprite's pathos. Those are my three. Steve, what are your top three? Uh, my number three, I thought the CGI was great. Is better than our last couple Marvel movies that we've done, Black Widow and Shang-Chi. I agree. Um, I think this CGI was done a lot better and it looked a lot prettier. My number two, uh, it's much easier and more enjoyable the second time around. This movie is very rewatchable. And my number one, being a different take on the Marvel movie, it feels a little fresh for the MCU. Um, It feels more epic, so you say. And you get that right off the bat with the opening crawl. The Eternals went from soldiers of war to beings that care. They've evolved. They have an arc. That was my top thing. they They were programmed that way. Were they? Yeah, because their job was to destroy the deviants and to go to plants and cultivate the life so that the Eternal could come up from the egg. Mm -hmm. And they went against that because they evolved as beings. All right, bottom three, time to vent. My My number three. The world should be destroyed from the emergence. Just straight up. That's tough not to ignore. Straight up. That should be. Uh, my number two, the direction of this movie. I don't know if Chloe Zhao was the right person to do this movie. They got her because she's great at independent stories with deep character work. This is a massive movie with 10 leads and two and a half hours. There's got to be a four hour cut of this movie somewhere. And my number one, the writing in this movie betrays nearly every character at some point. 
Steve, what are your three? Would you want to watch the four hour cut? I would give it a shot. Here's the thing. I thought here the here's why. Justice League sucked. Zack Snyder's Justice League was awesome. The extended one, the, the, the ultimate edition is what you're talking about? They took the Joss Whedon two and a half hour one and extended it to four hours and it made so much more sense and you actually gave a shit about the characters. Well, here's the problem that, I don't want to say it's a problem for me, but with that situation, I only saw the extended version. I never saw the original okay. version that people hated. Yeah. So um that's like saying this is oh the, this is such a great movie it's four hours long and then not having to see it this way but they also broke the, the Zack snyder cut into chapters remember so you could stop it and be like i can stop here and then pick it up in the next part so it was the same it's the same movie as that massive four hour they just cut it up they took the they took the four hour cut yeah and the four hour cut had like chapter one boom and that was maybe 17 minutes long. And then go chapter two, boom, chapter three. So it gave you stopping points to be like, okay, I can take a break for a second. So this is good to watch episodically. This movie? Yes. No, I don't think so. Because this is in, this is two and a half hours. If you cut it up, you're not breaking at any good point. When would you, when would you break in this movie? Because of all the flashbacks. Uh, and any of the... And at one moment you could, and that's when they're all trying to get a Druig in the Amazon because it comes to a screeching halt, um, which kind of leads right into my go for it. Bottom three right here. Uh, my number three, this does, <laughs> I, I know I rebuttal with my top three because it's not a normal Marvel movie, but this doesn't feel like a Marvel movie. Nope. At all. If they don't mention Thanos, Steve Rogers or Iron Man, would you even know? Nope. Uh, my number two, the pacing comes to a screeching halt at times. I like the mentality of getting the band back together and visiting them and their new lives. Unfortunately, it just takes forever for them to finally get all together, for them to split up in less than 20 minutes after. Because <laughs> there's 10 of them. Yeah. <laughs> it's 10 journeys. Yeah. <laughs> Also, there are so many of them that my favorites get tossed aside at the end. Fastos and especially Marikai. Makari. Um, Makari, sorry. I, I spell it a couple different times. It's okay. You know what I'm talking about. <laughs> and my number one, I question the competencies of the Celestials. The big-ass, all-powerful, universe-expanding beings are making some pretty basic bonehead mistakes. They also do a shit show of trying to fix all the mistakes that they try to do. Yeah. We use an A to F scale here on the Movie Planet Critics Rating Time. C is average. Average. A C is average. Uh, a is the highest, F is the lowest. The movie receives Fs from everybody. It should be a Movie Planet global killer, just like Tiamat. Uh, so the question is, what do you give 2021's Eternals in the comic book movie genre? Do you want to go first or second? I will go second. Okay, here we go. What a train wreck. <laughs> Logically, emotionally, casting-wise, plot-wise. I mean, Marvel was due for a shit-the-bed moment 15 movies ago. This was it. Let's start with some positives. This is a pretty movie. Sprite is well-written. 
though at times not exactly well acted. Kingo, Fastos, Makari, and Druig need a side project together. The historical settings are top-notch. They are so well done in their look from ancient Babylon to Tenochtitlan. They are beautiful. It's everything they expected those historical places to look like. Excellent job. So proud of the art department and the CGI people for creating something that looked that beautiful. You deserve an Oscar. Now that that's over, let's start with the characters. Guardians of the Galaxy did a great job of fleshing out five characters in two hours. So if you're going to do 10 characters, you should probably add another hour or so onto this. Plus, some dragged out expositional scenes because you can't expect the audience to sit through 10 sets of flashbacks on top of the flashbacks that govern the plot. This was doomed from the get-go. Now, writing-wise, the plot. In an effort to try to do something completely different from the MCU that we've seen, steps into a world that would almost benefit from the idea that the Infinity Saga never happened. By trying to tie it into the original storyline, you begin to have logical issues with these all-powerful beings. Not just the Eternals and Deviants, but the Celestials. World religions are destroyed on the altar of cool, which leads to the morality of humanity being something inherent and not passed down through the ages of humanity through world religions. After this movie, don't be surprised if the next logical step is for people to leave their churches, temples, and synagogues and droves to worship the massive robot in the f***ing Indian Ocean that didn't kill them miraculously when he emerged from his cocoon in the Earth's core and not setting off every goddamn volcano on the planet. The dilemma in this movie is simple, but so is the answer. Kill every human on a planet so you can make more planets where you can kill them all again, or save every human and prevent more mass extinctions. The villain is Icarus, or Crow, or Arishem. I don't fucking know. Sometimes it's Druig. Sometimes it's Thena. This shit is all over the place. And right in the middle of it is our main character, Cersei, a character who is given even less to do through the movie than Shang-Chi in story responsibility, and that's a problem. 7,000 years is a long time to grow, yet in this final one week, she discovers this new set skill with her power. Hey, Star Wars called. It wants its force powers back from the anti-trilogy. The lowest I've rated a Marvel movie is a D plus. Those movies were Captain Marvel and Ant-Man and the Wasp. This movie's worse from every level, but it's not an F, Steve. And it's not completely unwatchable. I was dreading watching this, and I don't think I've said that about a movie, a Marvel movie at that. I'm giving this a D. A D for I just feel dicked. Steve, you're up, brother. All right. Watching this, watching it the first time I was with my sick and occasionally asleep daughter on my 13 and a half inch screen, that was definitely a different way of watching a movie. This movie as a whole, is definitely different. This is outside of the cookie cutter for Marvel movies. And you know what? I'm good with it. I think it worked. It has some great twists in the movie. If I'm dumb for not seeing the Icarus turn and others saw it, then I guess I'm just dumb. I don't but think you're dumb. I, I liked it. Well, thank you. I liked it, and my interest in the movie spiked when that happened. Uh, there, there's a couple things I didn't see 
coming, and that was the big one. Um, I got enough out of each character that I need. Any more time on character development, and holy crap, this would have been a four-hour movie. The length alone was a drag. When the final battle scene ended, there was still another 15 minutes left, and I was like, (laughs) it took forever to finally get here, and I still some time after here. They should have just got the band back together in half the time, and it would have been cool to see all the Eternals save Earth and then turn on Erishim himself, or itself, I I don't know. Um, I just think that would have been a better ending to this movie and then end on that mentality, and then it could have left it a little bit more open for a sequel, because we all know the Eternals will return. I like the battle scene but they were hampered by Icarus, who was in 80% of them. Rightfully so, because other than Cuckoo Athena, he was the only one (laughs) worth watching in the battle sequences, and he looked like Superman with no cape, which was explained earlier. Mm -hmm. Now, the only one I I wish I would have seen more would have been Makari. You know, she, like we've said it before, she does a great version of fighting in flesh but if you saw a lot of that would have would have what it have got a little drowned out i don't know the biggest gripe is where does this fit in the mcu so far it comes straight out of left field at the beginning of a phase in feige i we trust <laughs> i still would have liked this the 10 rings connection if the Unimine bracelets were the Ten Rings, it would have put it would have put Shang Chi above Captain Marvel in terms of powerfulness. Hell, it would rival the Infinity Gauntlet. Not so much Stormbreaker. <laughs> um, the villain analysis. Uh, this is going to be short because the villain to me was revealed so late. Another guy who is all about the mission and will do anything so he can be besties with Arisham. But I guess love always prevails, and so does humanity. He is a below average at best. I thought ego was better. Yep. Eternals by no means is an A. Not even close. It doesn't deserve to be in this pantheon. But I have a special place in my heart for these MCU movies. Oh, just too late, DCEU. (laughs) (laughs) I still look at this genre as a whole. So where can I put the Eternals on where it fits nice and neat? I like the Eternals as a C. It's average. That was very eloquent, Steve. Here are some other movies you've ranked as a C. Yes. The Incredible Hulk. Guardians of the Galaxy. Volumes 1 and 2. Ant-Man and the Wasp. Yes. You feel it's on par with all those? I feel like it is below all of those, but still average. Is it better than Captain Marvel? No. Is it better than Black Widow? I think I I would I could flip a coin. Okay. You gave Captain Marvel a C minus. Mm-hmm. So why not make this a C minus? If it's not better than Captain Marvel. My grade for Captain Marvel was a C minus. Yes. Okay. Um, <laughs> I can't prepare I today, brother. I think the thing I think the thing that dinged me for Captain Marvel being so low 
was it's because of its message that was so in your face. So this didn't seem to have that message. So that's why I graded it above Captain Marvel. But in terms of a story, yeah, I liked Captain Marvel better. More of an origin. Okay. You also Shang Chi. You gave a C plus two. So you think this is better? You think this is worth than Shang Chi? Yes. Okay. Well, good. Okay. This th- then your grading makes sense here. I got like a little thing here. I was like, okay, let me prepare here. See, see. I would. I would. I. I. I like there. I enjoy Incredible Hulk more than this movie. Um. Well, the enjoyable factor. That's a different thing. I mean, okay. Yeah. Right. That's, that's totally different. Like, well, is this going to make the Pantheon Steve? <laughs> well, we're going to put it that. right above Endgame. <laughs> we'll put it right above Dr. Strange. Fuck you. Okay. <laughs> All right. Let's get our critics hats off. Do you love this movie? Like this movie or none of the above? I'm going to say none of the above emphatically until this has a greater purpose in the MCU going forward. It is essentially worthless to me. Steve, what about you? I liked it. Hey, there you go. The, se- the second time around was more enjoyable. When's the third? You're going to watch a third time? When I need to. I think you should. But wait like a year. Kind of like yes. what you did after Masters of the Universe and you watched or you listened to the podcast a year later. And you're like, <laughs> God, you know what? I There's a lot of points that I made today that didn't make a whole lot of sense. I need to change my grade. And you know what else? I, you know what, Steve? I always offer you the opportunity to do that on the show. I don't want to mow to myself. <laughs> um, I would like to make a suggestion in regards to the future MCU movies. What do you say about waiting on any more of these until the next story is completed or more of the story is revealed? You know, they can do a show on the TV shows and how the impact that they had in the series. What do you think about that? This is MCU, not comic book movies. So MCU, not comic book movies. So Morbius can exist. So, okay. I mean, I guess we can give the movies their due. Yeah. Uh, more stories need to be told and events need to be explained. Uh, too much of anything is a good thing. So but Star I mean, Wars. I, yeah, that's definitely <laughs> too much of a good thing. <laughs> uh, but uh, th- uh, there's just something to be said with, as I step back and look at this MCU journey, I'm just, I would have never thought I'd be here 23 movies later. 27. Well, I didn't do them all. You've graded all of them. I've graded all of them, but I didn't, I guess, I guess the fact of me doing a pod, being on a podcast with them all. The only one, you, you, you didn't do Captain Marvel because remember we screwed that one up. There's no we on that one. I screwed that one up. <laughs> I'll own it. I'll own it. Listen, I've made one or two mistakes when it comes to production of this show. Captain Marvel was a huge one. Uh, You are the celestial of this pantheon. Exactly. You know what? I flooded the planet and I started fresh with Sam and we got ourselves a C minus out of it. Um, And, but yeah, but you didn't grade Captain Marvel and you didn't grade Iron Man or you you weren't there for the Iron Man show. That was. I didn't do Iron Man and I didn't do Thor. Yeah. Oh, you didn't do Thor either. So three movies. Yeah. So yeah, yeah, 24, 25 movies you've done. 24, okay. Yeah, yeah okay. Um, yeah, but I'm just thinking like MCU, let's just pause it for a second until we figure out, because we didn't do the Infinity Saga until it was over. Yeah, yeah. You know, that, yeah. that's where we could look back and look at everything and how it all tied together. And I'm like, if we were doing the Infinity Saga with starting movies uh, right away, be like, how are these going to tie together? This makes no f-ing sense. So we might, it would be wise even to wait till possibly even after phase five. I would say 
and this is it's going to sound awful, Steve. I would say wait until this entire storyline is over. No, I agree. And that's another 20 movies. We wait 20 movies. I'm in. Yeah, I wouldn't mind doing that again like three or four or five years down the line. Yeah, I mean, by, by that time, you know, my son will be 18. Maybe he'll give us two cents. Oh, <laughs> that'd be awesome. Uh, okay, from birth to planet. Okay. <laughs> That's all we've got time for today, Movie Planeteers. Next show, we will look at 1985's Enemy Mine for the Science Fiction Pantheon. You can email the Movie Planet using the address movieplanetpodcast at gmail.com. If you enjoyed the show, subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, or Podbean and give us a four or five star review. Like us on Facebook, Twitter, and follow our Instagram. The opinions expressed on the Movie Planet Podcast are those of the individual hosts. The Movie Planet Podcast is not affiliated with, prepared for, approved, or licensed by any entity that created any films discussed or reviewed herein. All movie clips and music included in the podcast are the intellectual property of the respective copyright holders. They are included here for the purpose of review, and no infringement is intended. Steve, any last words? So, this got me thinking when I was looking this up. So, if Icarus is like Superman... Yes. And he flew himself into the sun. Yes. Does that mean we now have Solar Man? Quest for peace. Here we come. <laughs> Wait, was it solar or nuclear man? Yeah, they both came from the sun. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yes. All right. Thanks for listening. That was a long show. Happy movie watching. That was good. See ya. See ya. You know what? If you said something earlier, and it's something that we have said very often on the show, which is in Feige, we trust. That trust has been wavering for the last two or three movies. It's been wavering in phase four. Can we really say in Feige, we trust still? Uh, I, I look through the entire Infinity Saga, and it is the best series of movies that I have ever seen and for him to waver I, I he, he can he can screw up and still be he would have to do an entire saga of screw-ups in order to balance out what he's done Feige to me is Ken Holland Ken Holland was a hell of a GM for the Detroit Red Wings. 
put together some teams that won a few championships. And then all of a sudden, the hits, well, they weren't coming anymore. You know, you miss the playoffs all of a sudden. Your team is just being decimated. You don't have any stars. You got a bunch of B players. Black fucking Knight. Black Knight? Where's the goddamn X-Men? Where are the X-Men? Where's the fan? You, you bought them. Black Knight's the best we can fucking do. <laughs> sorry, Ken. I'm sorry, Kevin Feige. You're Ken Holland now. I'll give you another one, too. Nope. Dave Dombrowski. I was thinking Dombrowski. <laughs> I was thinking of him, too. Yep. Absolutely. It's, they, listen, I, I will forever be indebted to what Kevin Feige has given to our planet in the MCU. But I think it's okay to say, you better show us something soon because you're looking at Black Widow, Shang-Chi, Eternals, four or five TV shows, which are middling, you know, WandaVision probably being the best and either Miss Marvel or What If, kind of being the low point of the TV shows. Um, I'm not seeing a whole lot of things that are impressing me the way that the original phase one impressed me. Uh, I think, I think we're all just inevitably doomed. I think this is just a train wreck that's in the process of happening, but you can't turn away because you've been on this train for a while yeah, and you want to see where it goes, but you know, it's going to crash and burn and be ugly. And it will end like that because the first leg of the train ride was glorious. Absolutely. And we have nothing but the highest of highest bars set. And that is our expectation. No matter how many bad movies we're blinded by greatness. It reminds me of Ian Malcolm in Jurassic park. Yes, your scientists were so preoccupied with whether or not they could, they didn't stop to think whether they should. Ladies and gentlemen, I give you the multiverse. <laughs> I, Steve, you called that a year ago, and I was like, no, no, it's going to be okay. This is great. This is wonderful. They don't know what the fuck to do with the multiverse. They are throwing so many things at the wall. They have no idea. I'm looking at this right now, story structure rise, and there's just obvious mistakes. You got 10 rings that are bracelets. You decided mm-hmm. to make them bracelets for the case of because they used to be just rings on a finger. Now they made bracelets and you have another movie that comes out three months later that has 10 bracelets in it that, and they have no connection. That's something you would not have seen in phase one, two or three. And the genius about all this is exactly it. The multiverse, because now that's just an excuse. Exactly. And I, that's the genius of the whole project. That's the thing. They, and I don't think that they needed to do that. I think that they got cute with it. And when pandemic hit, they didn't know what to do. They were forced to do stuff because of investors. And now here we are. And, you know, Feige has said, he said this, we're recording this now in July. He said like a week ago, uh, in the next, in the coming months, uh, you will see where this story is going to be good. You'll finally see where it's fleshing out, the Thanos thing that's going to be coming along the way. Well, we all know it's Kang. But where has Kang been in any of these movies? None. If you don't watch, if you don't have Disney Plus, you don't know anything. Not a damn That's why I think maybe it won't. It won't even be that. I from from the rumblings, I thought I've heard it was going to be gore. Well, from, it, yeah. We don't know yet. Thor: Love and Thunder. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So, in Kevin Feige, we trusted. 
We're willing to trust you again if you can finally put yes. this shit together. Yes, sir.